Hey everyone, and welcome to an exciting episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics. We got a fun show and share for you today. Remember our good old buddy in the Multiman? Well, he's come back to give our buddy Spidey a big roll in the hay. Oh boy, how's Spidey going to get out of this one? And just when things can't get any more crazy, a meteor crashes to Earth with special gas. Mr. Nestor Fester will never be the same again. Stay tuned, Spidey fam. Special musical guests Irving Forbish and the Merry Marvel Marching Society dancers. Hello and welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, in association with SpiderManCrawlspace.com. This is episode 24 of the show. My name is John Wilson, and with me today, as they always are when their health and electronics permit, are Joshua Lappenbertoni. I feel like I should like run in through through a banner or something with that kind of introduction, <laughs> with my hands in the air. Well, as long as right behind you are Donovan Morgan Grant. Oh, when he caught? No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> After having had some amazing guests for the last several episodes, and also Brad Douglas, we are going to be tackling this episode with just the three of us. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> you know what? It I'm was funny because you said amazing guests, and I don't know if you realize it, John, but the title of our show has the word amazing in it, as does the title of the book that we're reviewing. So when you say that our guests are amazing, it's kind of a pun. Really? Kind of, yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> I'll check, but yeah. And tonight, after some emails, we are going to be looking at, as you said, it is called Amazing Spider Man 35 and 36. I want to start by reminding you that Amazing Spider-Man Classics is brought to you by Roll2Play, your online source for games and gaming supplies and accessories. And as I've told you this month, they are running a sale on all Steve Jackson games, such as the Munchkin card game. Also, a featured item right now is the Apples to Apples Party Box. It is a four or more player game. Of hilarious comparisons. Just open the box, steal the cards, and you're ready to play. And that is available for $20.99 at Roll2Play.com, spelled with the number 2. First, before we get going, we have some feedback, both emails and iTunes reviews, which we would like to read and discuss. The first one is a brief note from Michael Bradley, which he titles, Writing in Comics, Ray, Episode 20, which was... The first Eddie D'Angelini episode where we discussed issues 28 and 29, he says, Unfortunately, there are many former kids, myself included, whose parents required them to write their name in comics. Oh, he's replying to um, Eddie's sadness that his... Um, or- uh, <laughs> his anger. Yeah. <laughs> and he wants to think, like, he, he like called the person out, first name and last name, <laughs> if I recall. Michael says this was a preventative measure to keep us from losing them should we ever take them out of the house or loan them to friends. So forward my apologies to Eddie D'Angelini should he ever latch on to one of those. It's not my fault, honest. P.S. Are all the women in Peter's life at this point either crazy, (laughs) psychotic, overprotective, or neurotically insecure? It seems that way. Uh, Yes. Yes, as long as they're drawn by Dicko. 
<laughs> and written by Stan Lee, who has like no idea like anything about women. Yes, I'm going to the databanks and like I'm trying. I'm trying to argue this, and like, I don't think I can. Like, oh, like, even yeah. Deborah Whitman is like. <laughs> well, he said at this point. Well, there was Sally Avril. She's pretty. Oh wait, she's dead. Yeah, she she's dead. <laughs> hey, before she was dead, like she's like, <laughs> I am the bluebird. <laughs> she like blackmailed oh, Peter into like revealing that he like took photos. Like, uh, come on, Jason. Let's 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 you know, spy on Spider Man. Like future Slater. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Out the window I go. <laughs> yeah, like Steve Ditko. Sally Avril, li- 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 yeah, we Liz, okay, yeah, Betty, yeah, <laughs> Lil- no one even needs Betty, no way. <laughs> Aunt May, I mean, maybe Anna Watson. Like, what has she done at this point? I mean, like, changed her last name a few times. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she, she forgets if Mary Jane's her daughter or niece. Oh yeah, good points. Gosh darn it. <laughs> yeah, it, she is over, and she's overprotective too, because it's like, oh, don't see a scary movie. I was just telling Mary Jane that the other day, Aunt May. <laughs> As they like fist bump each other, like, yeah. She's such an enabler. Never, <laughs> our kids are never gonna see scary movies. Yeah. Amazing sexist podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, like I don't think that there's any other women in the book except for like no, no, you're you're right. Yeah. I think Sue Storm, who's who's like a cameo a couple of times, maybe, but I'm not read too much early Fantastic Four. Is she yeah, kind of, she's, yeah, she's not exactly level-headed either. Oh, no. <laughs> We've talked enough about early Fantastic Four on here. Enough said. She's not as uh, bad as maybe some of the characters in Spider-Man, but she's not exactly level-headed. Princess Python. <laughs> it, would she really be considered in his life, I guess? So, uh, but She's his first female ever, sir. Female? Dory Evans. Oh, Dory Evans. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Storm, you put out that flame this instant. Mary Parker. Dr. Doom is about to cut off Reed Richards' head. You're not going to show off. You're going to be a normal boy. Mary Parker. Mary Parker. Um, eh, well, in her life, yeah, she's, she's not. Well, she's a robot. She, she doesn't exist yet. Yeah, and she's a robot. <laughs> and, and this, and this uh, so far, have they ever mentioned his parents? No. I don't think they've even gotten a, like a, a sideways line drop on them. They they don't exist as far as we know. We assume he had them because most people do. <laughs> For all we know, like they could they could like reveal in issue thirty seven that like oh Peter your parents were just in the other room having dinner. They've been in the other room. For, like, <laughs> like, his parents have always been there. They've just been off panel. <laughs> or or they're like you know you only see them by their legs, a la Tom and Jerry, uh, cow and chicken. Kind no, of thing. It, it's like Carrie Kelly's parents from The Dark Knight Returns. They're like smoking pot, watching stuff about Spider Man on TV. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you seen Peter lately? You should be finishing kindergarten pretty soon. <laughs> Our next email is from friend of the show, Miss Stella. Stella reads, John. I wanted to send a note on my birthday, no less. Happy birthday. To praise ASMC. Yes, happy birthday. Happy belated birthday. Yeah, it's like two months late now. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. I have been thoroughly enjoying it. It has entertained me and taught me as well. Only the best podcast prompt me to try and catch up as quickly as possible. It's true that sometimes I feel bad for the harsh, albeit funny words and comments that are flying out at the women. But I do understand this is Silver Age way of writing slash thinking. Batgirl has encountered the same sexist storytelling. (laughs) Poor Betty. I do hope Josh will learn to love Betty, or, and she has a little heart image there, which is yep, cute. Yep, that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Any day now, I'm going to like realize that this is the like most important character in the Spider-Man movie. Doctor Strange, love, or the day I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. Love the bomb, that's right. 
You keep the show moving, and you bring up so many issues that are either heavy or serious or light and amusing. Keep up the great work. The only constructive criticism I would give is tell Donovan to slow down when he gives the summaries. Sometimes it seems like he is racing through, and his words get fumbled, and I have trouble understanding what he is saying. I don't know what she's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I am only on episode 13, and I saw you say that he will give later oral reviews rather than read. So this may change. I've learned while doing my own that you have to go a little slower in order not to err. Thanks for your time. I look forward to hearing more. Your fan, Stella. I would like to say that <laughs> I could get really angry and say, no, you're wrong. But really, it's not, it's not that I try to work on. So I will try to uh, work on my speed next time. I've said my piece about Betty. Uh, I say it in every episode. If somebody would like to defend her actions, go right <laughs> ahead. It's, I, um, I mean, um, I... I I let the comics speak for themselves, you know. Now that said, like I really don't like curse this woman, like you know, when I go to sleep. I enjoy the character for this very reason. But uh, <laughs> yeah, well, we've not had a, we've not had somebody yet say you're wrong about Betty, so that lends credence to our claims. Well, Stella is a friend of the show. She is a member of the panel on the Spider-Man Crawl Space podcast, and she also has her own show that she does solo with occasional guest co-hosts, which is called Batgirl to Oracle, a Barbara Gordon podcast. That can be found on iTunes and at www.batgirltooracle.blogspot.com. There is a Facebook page, and you can follow her on Twitter, at Batgirl to Oracle. So um, I have listened to several episodes of that show. I have not caught up yet, but it is definitely worth your time, and she does a great job with it. Very much. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a great show. And our next email is from Kenneth Laster. Awesome, or should I say, amazing. Um, you guys can't see, but I'm like cocking my head and winking a little bit. Podcast. You guys are amazing. You guys inspired me for my YouTube channel. I even mentioned you in my first video. My channel is Epic Nerd One, and for those of you who cannot see the email, he spells Epic Nerd as it's spelled, but puts the number one at the end. If you want to check it out, and if you need an extra co-host or someone to replace you, he he he, I'm your man or teen. I don't know. Well, which is it? Are you a man or a teen? <laughs> you can like see that like Stanley Splash Page stuff. The man and the teen. <laughs> is he man or teen? Well, keep on casting. We're doing it right this moment, man. Oh, yes. I have no plans to have any replacements unless one of these gentlemen dies. So I'll piss you off. I don't see that happening, though. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Thank you so much for that email, Kenneth. And we have another email from Liam Elcote, who has written to us a few times before. He has an email titled, Some More Circus of Crime Goodness. <laughs> he says, hey guys, it's been a long time since you did a new episode. He wrote this um, in the great crevasse that separated episodes 20 and 21. But since I'm your man for updates on the Circus of Crime, I thought I would bring to your attention possibly the best Circus of Crime appearance of all time. In Daredevil, number 118 we see Daredevil face off against the Circus of Crime for the first time since Amazing Spider-Man number 16. I haven't read it yet, so I don't know what antics they get up to, although Princess Python is nowhere to be seen on the cover. Probably off on a date with Stiltman or something. The minute I saw the title of the issue, I knew I had to write an email because it's possibly the best title to come out of the 70s. The The epic title... I'm sorry, the epic tale is titled Circus, 
spelled sideways is death. Sick as well backwards is Okay, I know that Stanley was not writing Daredevil this late <laughs> in the game, so wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know who would have who would have been on that by then. I have no. It, it wasn't Miller. He came on like the one twenties or one thirties. But <laughs> Miller would have been like circus spelled sideways is rape. <laughs> or hooker. <laughs> or the streets. I spent about three hours spelling circus sideways over and over again, trying my hardest to make it say death. Went <laughs> close to death. And at the end of the day, I can confirm circus spelt sideways is definitely not death. So <laughs> hurry up with the next awesome. episode, though, or the wait for it spelt sideways will most definitely be death. <laughs> that's, that's, oh, that's, that's <laughs> I'm scared now. We're recording it right now, man. Hang on. Coming soon to a theater near you. Rated R. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Like, I just like Donovan's like random rated R like tag at the end. I don't, I don't know where I come up with that. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for that awesome bit of info there, Liam. We have another email from Lindsay Newton, who has also written before. Hey, guys. Just read Amazing Spider-Man 30. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on the Cat Burglar's terrifying arsenal. His hook on a rope. His gun that has never failed him, and my personal favorite that would defeat any superpowered hero, his blinding beam of light. Love the show, Lindsay from Australia. Wow, we didn't really talk about that much, did we? He did have um, a lot of faith in his band of gadgetry. Yeah, we were more focused on, you know, Liz possibly being a nurse for homeless people. What was happening to Flash Thompson when he was unconscious and why <laughs> Betty Brand probably released the red pigeon that ruined Peter and Mary Jane's wedding day. <laughs> well, actually, like, like, was it was it really um, emphasized, oh, look at my blinding beam of light. Isn't it awesome? It, it probably was, it was. was. We were probably just too focused on Miss Brand. There was <laughs> yeah, the other writing with, with the cat. Yeah, he, uh, he, he really liked his toys. Mm-mm-mm. Thank you, Lindsay. Our next email is from Aiden Mohan entitled Nurses, Planners, and Pronunciation. Howdy, y'all. First off, I'm going to make myself sound like a grade-A ass by correcting John's pronunciation of my name. It is pronounced Mohan. It's Irish. And I'm just going to interrupt to say, you are not an ass. I always prefer to pronounce somebody's name the way that they pronounce it. But continuing with the email, anyway, on to Doc Strange, I've always been intrigued by mystical superheroes from D.C., Marvel's mystical characters always seem kind of bland. The most interesting magic character from Marvel I can think of would be Adam Warlock, who crosses more into the cosmic end of things. I really, really like Strange's origin. I agree with you there. It's really intriguing that some overbearing jackanape would be semi-forced into becoming a nice guy, and then, then, then I lose all interest in everything Strange involved. <laughs> Just plain bores me. I really love the three-part Master Planner arc. Yes, I count the cat. Back when I first read it, I thought it was so cool how the seeds were planted in part one and two that would in the end lead to the payoff that is those awesome Spidey lifting large metal object panels that are burned onto my brain because they repeat it every other month. I would have to say that this is my second favorite Doc Ock story, and it's definitely in my top 20 Spidey stories. If you're curious as to what they are, I'll send them to you sometime. Yeah, I don't mind hearing what someone's favorite Spidey stories are. That'd be kind of cool. My first would be George Stacy's. <gasps> oh no, we're we gonna spoil this. Death. Scott Garner, <laughs> cover your ears. <laughs> and my third would be Killer Clone Kane's. Really, murdering of the not so good Doctor during the Clone Saga. 
Should we say <laughs> the letters? Oh, I see what he did there. Okay. <laughs> um, sorry, yeah, Aiden. I thought that was the actual name of a character, and I was just kind of boggled for a second. But yeah. So now onto the show, Politics. About the length, I would like the episodes as long as possible, the more classics as possible. From Oscorp, Stark Enterprise, Daily Bugle, and Williams Innovations employee, Aiden M. Mohan. Thank you, Aiden. We do appreciate the email, and again, um, never feel bad about correcting me, any of you out there, on how to say your name. Um, because I would rather do it correctly. So, By the way, John, you've been pronouncing my name wrong the entire time. It's really? don't <laughs> Speaking of pronouncing things correctly, Oliver Villar. Oliver does write an email that Josh is going to read. Hi, guys. Finally listened to the episode. I think Eddie should be on the show all the time. The statement that he made about how energetic you guys are on this show is spot on. I've listened to every episode so far, and it's like hanging out with other knowledgeable and passionate Spidey fans who really know what they're talking about. <clears throat> Dude, I have no clue what I'm talking about. I just BS I like for about six <laughs> hours. Dude, there's no such series as Untold Tales. I made it up. It just sounds hard. <laughs> Betty Brant, she's actually like the best character, so you know. Yeah. How awesome is Betty Brant? I've never been a fan of Annual 2, so I'm glad that was discussed first. As far as issue 30, I couldn't wait for the discussion on that. According to the 1985 ASM Index, issue 30 marked the first time Jonah is seen at home. Until this podcast, I never realized how annoying Betty Brant could be during the lead <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> very true. The discussions you guys have about every issue so far are very entertaining and hope this podcast stays on forever. Looking forward to listening to the next episode. We plan to go until Skynet revolts. You and know, maybe also, after also that, that um, we'll have to be underground. I, I like the fact that everyone really like takes to the, to the special guests. Like, every, I think we've always had an email that said, more, more Bailey, more, more JR, more Brad, more uh, Eddie, I think it's, more lazy, I think. Well, we, we want more lazy, at least. I know that. I, yeah, I've heard compliments on every person we've had so far, so that's that's good. I'm glad that we have good people. So all of you out there who um, I have lined up to be on the show in the future, pressure's on. And then our next email is from Eric Gentry. Eric writes... Hey guys, good to hear the show again. Sounds like you weren't big fans of ASM Annual 2. You mentioned that Xandu would appear again in 1974's Marvel Team-Up number 21, but the Doctor Strange Spidey Xandu saga also continued in 1983's Marvel Fanfare number 6. 1992 graphic novel The Way to Dusty Death, and finally Secret Defenders 6 through 8 in 1993. I attached a, a pic of the little blurb from Secret Defenders number 6, about how Spider-Man and Doctor Strange could somehow coincidentally always have fought Zandu every nine years. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing the next podcast because ASM 33 is the oldest issue, which I have the original copy. Eric. Nice. It's always cool to own um, those old Spider-Mans. And I have recently come into possession of issue number 29. Thank you to you out there who gave that to me as a Christmas gift. I do want to read this blurb here because this is kind of interesting. It says, uh, want to hear something weird? Up to now, as we noticed while readying our issue of Secret Defenders, Xandu's appearances have always come in nines. You think we're kidding? Xandu made his debut in ASM Annual number 2 in 1965 by the team of Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, as reprinted a couple of years back in a Marvel Masterworks edition. It was nine years before Doc and Spidey were reunited against the green-clad anti-guru in 1974 for his second shot at the Wand of Watum by writer Lee Len Wein and artist Salvia Seba. 
Then in 1983, Marvel Fanfare No. 6 featured Spidey and the Scarlet Witch against our malevolent monocled magician, courtesy of Mike Barr and Sandy Plunkett. And only a few months ago, in 1992's Spider-Man Doctor Strange bookshelf format, The Way to Dusty Death, still on sale, in better-stocked comic shops everywhere, Xandu made a disaster-laden comeback in a story by Roy Thomas, Jerry Conway, and Michael Bear. Or Barr, it's kind of blurred, I can't tell. And believe it or not, it was all coincidence. If we'd waited that long to spotlight Xandu's fifth appearance, we could have subtitled it Xandu 2001. So we hope you don't mind that we decided to jump the gun by eight years. I don't think there w- was a Xandu appearance in 2001, sadly. It broke the broke the pattern. <laughs> sadly, huh? Yeah, sadly. I've just sadly. had Olivia Newton and John in my head the whole time you read that email. <laughs> nice. Well, no. his, the, the guy's name was Zandu, not Zanadu, which was really hard to try to get straight when you were... Or it sound like Xanadu. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you very much for writing that email, Eric. Let's see. Do we have any more? Whoa. Have you checked the Facebook page? For uh, for, for the show? Yeah. No, what's it say? Okay, know. edit this out, but like, oh, I am so sick of people complaining about the stupidest mundane things. Like... <laughs> Who's, who's complaining? Question techniques or something. The current episode is an outrageously large file, 192 megabytes. Wait, 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 wait. Who's saying that? Gerard. Okay, um, well, we actually have an email from Gerard. Oh, oh he, he complain about the download. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> okay, <laughs> oh, well, this, um. This, this took me six hours to download it. Uh, Josh, have you looked at this thing? He says, oh, what? Um, Is it worse? Is it worse? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you be the judge. He says, "Killing time" is the subject of his his email. <laughs> Dear Classics Crew, I have to confess I've been quite the hypocrite this week. After openly complaining to John that episode twenty one was too long an episode and too large a file, I found myself spending many hours in a hospital waiting room in need of something to occupy my time. Sure enough, I had episode twenty one already loaded onto my PSP. Amazingly, I listened to the entire gargantuan monstrosity in one sitting. Even more amazingly, it held my interest and was consistently entertaining throughout. Kudos to you guys for putting together such a great installment. While it was awfully uncomfortable to have everyone staring at me as I tried not to crack up in the middle of the waiting room, it was totally worth the potential embarrassment. Bertoni's quasi-reenactment of the Betty-Peter breakup scene nearly had me peeing my pants with suppressed laughter. You and this found Wilson, Gerard Delatour II. <laughs> oh. So, um, so he took it back. <laughs> so thank you very much for that email, Gerard, and putting Josh in his place. Before we move on to comics, we have two iTunes reviews. dun 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 dun, dun. Five stars. The Marvel Man says Spider-Man Classics is nerdtastic. Simply stated, the best Spider-centric podcast available. Hosted and presented by three uber nerds, which is a compliment in my book, who love Spider-Man comics and who know a great deal about them. This show entertains, educates, and continually tugs on the nostalgic heartstrings while taking listeners on a thrilling tour of every issue of The Amazing Spider-Man ever. If you've never read these issues, you'll love this show while learning a great deal about Spider-Man's continuity. If you've read the issues, you'll still learn you'll still learn a great deal about Spidey's history from three delightful authorities and their occasional guests while reminiscing about your first ex- exposure to these wonderful comics. That was an awesome review there, Marvel Man. Thank you so much for saying that. Oh yes, thank you very much. It's it's, it's I'm astounded that we continue to entertain. We just do this for ourselves. And our other review was from Rick and Roll, 
He writes, or she, very interesting. Five stars. Great job, guys. This is one of those cool podcasts you wish you could be a part of. Well worth the listen, especially if you can follow along with the issues as you listen. Thank you so much for that, Rick and Roll. We really appreciate the support from all of our reviewers on iTunes. If you would like to leave a note saying what you think of this show, please feel free to do so. So far, everyone's been very positive, but I guess if you hate us, you should express that too. Just don't leave your home address because it might have to hurt you. (laughs) That's a promise. (laughs) And now, without further ado, let's dive into the books. So first up, launching us into the new year of 1966, the year that gave us Batman on the television, as well as the monkeys, the new adventures of Superman, and of course, Star Trek. We have Amazing Spider-Man 35, which hit the stands on January 11th with an April cover date. Our cover is a somewhat simplistic design. Molten Man is front and center, running toward the camera with his hands raised, with Spider-Man leaping down, and the spider signal is shining on Molten Man, although it's all white and not red. The title is The Molten Man Regrets, which makes absolutely no sense in context of the story. If you were in a green room, which, like, this is a green room... You were half naked, covered in gold paint, and about to be hogtied by Spider-Man. Wouldn't you have some regrets in life? <laughs> yes, I that's guess like I that's would. like the beginning of like some movie where like the guys narrow. You're probably wondering how I got to this point. <laughs> <laughs> it all started when I was working as a lab assistant for Spencer Smythe. The jar is hitting the wall. It's just smashing in front of me. It's soaking through my skin, my bloodstream. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I guess he does regret that. And we said we didn't have anything to talk about this issue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this title is very indicative of, indicative of the issue. Oh, and what's missing from the cover? What? Nipples. Oh, yes. No more nipples. No, no more. There are no nipples. more nipples. <laughs> Sounds like a protest sign, like, no more nipples. No. He used to have them, and then the, the liquid metal alloy burned them off. Oh. <laughs> I, I did have a, just a couple of items of note on the general cover layout here, though. There are a couple of things that have changed in the last issue or so that we didn't talk about last time. The Marvel Comics Group logo in the top left has changed. Uh, the the words uh, the word Marvel is now colored, and all the words are larger. And there's no longer any room there for the price tag, so the twelve cent stamp is now in its own little box off to the right. Not that it really matters. And these changes were actually set up last issue. I don't think we mentioned them, which is why I'm mentioning them now. Although I may find out when I edit last episode that we did, and I'll feel silly. So we open the cover, and before I talk about the splash page, I have to bring out this inside cover ad. It's for a play toy called the, get this, the Polaris Nuclear Sub. Now, this is not just any nuclear submarine toy. This one is seven feet long, with enough room in the cockpit for two children. There is a real periscope, working controls, electrically lit instrument panel, and the rockets and torpedoes actually fire. Just imagine how many hours of adventure you can have as you pilot the most powerful weapon in the world. Yours imagine the body count. That's yeah. like dangerous. I mean, it's a nuclear sub toy. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play with this plutonium. Just pretend you're the Ruskies. I know, right? It's only $7 plus shipping, but if that price seems too steep, you can just use it for a 10-day trial and send it back for a full refund if you're not absolutely satisfied. Isn't that special? That's awful. (laughs) 
And now the splash page. The image has the molten man diving for Spider-Man, but Spidey has leaped over him backwards, somersault style, and he's also grasping these two ropes that are attached on the other ends to the molten man's wrists. So I don't know if this is some sort of weird S&M thing that's going on or, or what it is. The room they're in is sort of run down with like cracks in the walls and a space heater. And I can just imagine all sorts of things happening in this place that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> but the art, the whole design of the poses and everything, the whole image is very Ditko with, with you know, Spider-Man's physiology and everything going there. And the title again is The Molten Man Regrets. Our captions read, it's change of pace time once again, so climb aboard for the action. This one is for the real, old-fashioned, dyed-in-the-wool Spidey fanatics who like to see old Webhead fighting as only he can. We envy you. You're going to have yourself a ball. Right. <laughs> you envy us, eh? Right. I, imagine, I, I, I can just imagine Stanley getting these pages from, from Steve because the credits are script and editing Stanley, plot and artwork Steve Ditko, lettering and loitering Art Simic. So Steve Ditko is the plotter. He's been listed that way since the Man in the Crime Master's Mask in issue 26. So, you know, we're going with the theory that he uh, he and Stan are not really talking much. He's just drawing out the stories and sending them in. So I can imagine Stanley getting these pages, and there's no story. It's Wait just a second. action. Of course this is so Steve Ditko. Isn't, like, a, a big, naked, muscular gold guy? Isn't that, like, an iconic and reigned in image? Oh, with, um... Atlas? Uh, yeah. Atlas Shrugged. Uh-oh. Isn't that the Iron Man title? Um, Atlas Shrugged and... The Fountainhead or something? Yeah. Yeah. If Iron Ran is listening right now, please... Or wait, wait, is she dead? <laughs> Do you think, possibly, that the idea for the Molten Man is an Iron Rand takeoff? I surely hope not, because... I've never read Iron Rand, but, like, I, I remember a girlfriend in high school reading one of the books, and there was, like, a naked gold guy on the cover. Well, no, that, but what, what does it mean when he's tied up in hogtied and left for the police? <laughs> I don't think anybody. I don't think anyone read anything into that until we said it. <laughs> that's, that's how we roll. That's, yeah, that's how we roll here in Amazing Spider-Man Classics. So, anyway, yeah. my, my my punchline a second ago was just that Stanley has to brag about this story somehow in the splash page. So all I can say is it's action. It's lots of action. You, you you're Spidey fans, you like action. That's the only thing you get for twenty pages in this story. So, getting to the actual story, we start out months ago. Mark Raxton, the Molten Man, has a hearing with a lenient judge who suspends his sentence, essentially leaving him free as a bird, mainly because it's his first-time offense and because he has agreed to pay for the damages he caused. He goes back to his apartment and gets all naked. Or, almost naked. He has, like, these golden undies we've laughed about a couple times already. They're kind of like Namor's, which kind of makes you wonder why he was wearing these on the day he got moltened. Or melted, or whatever it is. Um, when you have molten, yeah. It's As he walks out of the courthouse, there's no law against a citizen owning a gold piece of skin attached <laughs> to himself. So while he's standing around in his apartment all naked, he bends some girders and crushes some walls and decides that this should keep him entertained enough for a while, so he's going to lay low and not bother Spider-Man. Now, I'm guessing that this all takes place a little while after issue 28, but before issue 29. Uh, because 29 to 33 all kind of make one story but i don't know so we hop in our delorean and jump forward many days and we see a bearded man robbing jewels from a jewelry store the store owner shoots the thief but bullets bounce off and the thief crushes the pistol in his hand thinking this may be george reeves in disguise spider-man jumps into the fun 
He had just happened to be swinging by when he heard the shot. But the bearded thief makes short work of Spidey, faking his surrender, and then landing several punches without giving Spidey the chance to react. And then he runs away. And the mm. shop owner gets in the way when Spidey tries to leap after him, so by the time he makes it outside, the thief has already disappeared. Now, I actually don't believe for a second that the Molten Man could have moved so much more quickly than Spider-Man like he did here. Mm. But I'm not Steve Ditko, so... I don't he know. has the power of Molten! <laughs> Everyone knows that molten is the most fastest of metals. <laughs> Didn't he say that last time that he has the power of molten metal? Yes. Wooden chairs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the thief runs back to a decrepit apartment. I love how it's described as decrepit in the uh, dialogue. Decrepit digs, as it were. He takes off his rubber mask to reveal, <gasps> gasp, the molten man with a cigar. <laughs> Who didn't see that coming? <laughs> he hangs <laughs> the cigar. So Spider-Man swings around in search, but then decides to grab a paper of the events that just happened. <laughs> wow. Talk Thank about you. your lightning speed printing presses. He has a fight Twitter. with the man and swings over to the newsstand and grabs the paper that talks about it. It was uh, Twitter, the newspaper. Right, or, you know, like the instant publishing of 2061 or something. When he gets home, a stream-of-consciousness thought process leads him to guess that it might have been the Molten Man in disguise that he fought earlier. And I wonder if the rubber mask tipped him off that it might have been a disguise. I don't know. No, the way he came to this conclusion was so stupid. Boy, he sure packed a punch like iron. Iron? (gasps) Iron's a metal. (laughs) And his punch felt like metal. It's a long shot, but it could be... The Molten Man. Dude, it I sounds like the exact sort of thing that Batman that is, Robin made like, on TV show. That is so 1966 <laughs> Batman. Pretty fishy what happened to me on that ladder. You mean by there's a fish there could be a penguin? But wait, it happened at sea. See? See for Catwoman. Yet, that exploding shark was pulling my leg. The Joker. It all adds up to a sinister riddle. Riddler. Riddler? Wait a second. He was stealing a lot of money. Boy, that guy sure loves his green. Green? He did laugh like a goblin. <gasps> I bet you that it was the green goblin. It's a but... And we all die. <laughs> For those of you who don't get the joke, if you really want to, watch the 1966 Batman movie. Oh, please. It is such a funny movie. But be war- yeah, so- And if you can get past the exploding shark sequence, <laughs> you'll be all right. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Words to live by. Oh, so- they had a callback to that in Nightwing Year One. He's like trying to get rid of a bomb, and he says, it's like Bruce used to say, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> Right. That did not need to happen. So in any case, um, I enjoyed it. <laughs> Peter switches back to Spidey and goes to Raxton's last known residence, but the Molten Man's not there. So he camps out on a nearby roof until he sees a light come on. Spying through the window, he watches Mark Raxton undress. And a half hour later... <laughs> I do beg your pardon. I really actual, don't want actual to issue caption. <laughs> yes, it's the actual. He's watching Mark Raxton undress, and then a half hour later, after Mark has gone to bed, it says. <laughs> Peter's thinking, hmm, I wonder if he's gold all over his whole body. I must find out. <laughs> 
<laughs> Does the statuary match the drapes? Um, oh. oh. <laughs> hey, you know what? We were all thinking it. <laughs> so I applaud. I <laughs> Don, Don, Don. Someone, someone threw a golden rod in the back. Oh, <laughs> these are not the pants you're looking for. <laughs> so Spider-Man, gold finger. Okay, we're done. We're done. <laughs> Spider-Man slips his hand through the open window and leaves a spider tracer behind Raxton's jacket lapel. And as the days slowly pass, Peter finally gets a blip on his electronic gizmo. Note, he is still using his handheld device to track the tracers. But, second note, this is the last time he does it. Because next episode we get the spider sense tracking the spider tracers. This is also the first time they're actually called spider tracers. Just, you know, for the record. Yeah, when I was a kid, I was like so used to the tracking device because that's what they did in the animated series. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. And, you know, I think we said before, it just makes more sense to have him tracking device. Once you give his spider sense radio frequency tuning abilities, then it's, again, it's kind of weird. I've gotten used to it. I can, I can, I can roll either way. Yeah. Well, it's been this way for 50 years, so we're stuck with it. But just saying. <laughs> you say we're stuck with it, but, I mean, Mephisto's just a phone call away. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a slogan. Mephisto's just a phone call away. Annulments. Everyone knows Spider Man never used a device to go through his spider tracers. And now he never asked Mephisto to change it. But, anyways, but when he follows the signal, Raxton's doing nothing devious. So he just has to keep on doing his own little thing. And days later. And nobody notices the gold man walking on the street. Right. (laughs) Mr. Goldman, do 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 do. When Peter's studies are again interrupted by another blip on his tracer tracker thingy, he's not too hopeful, but he does go out and he follows Raxton to a mysterious door. I wonder how many other superheroes are as worried about passing their exams as about belting the bad guys. I R O N Y. Spider Man's original guys. Whoa, true believers. Does our distinguished competition ever have problems like this? <laughs> the brand Eck? Surely not. Surely not. But Raxton does eventually emerge from the mysterious door in disguise. And while he was in there, he became the um, the High King of Narnia for 20 years. And after Pac-Man's dad tells us to start our own business repairing electrical appliances on the ad page, Spider-Man follows the disguised Raxton to the alleyway behind the jewelry shop he tried to rob before. I didn't mention it before, but in the first scene, the Molten Man ended up leaving behind the tray of jewels that he had been trying to steal, so now he's going back for them. Remembering his lesson from the beginning of issue number four, Spider-Man allows Raxton to actually break into the safe before tackling him. And he uh, both snaps pictures before attacking and sets up his pictures to go automatically while he does attack. He throws lots of webs all over the disguised Molten Man, but Raxton just pulls off his disguise and the webs with it, coming after Spidey in all his golden, nearly naked glory. Dude, Stop. he was so eager to like take his clothes off. I was about to say like, like, like they don't show it, but like imagine like actually like actually pulling his pants down and stepping out of them. <laughs> I, that's just that's just really weird. Spider-Man throws the webs over him, and Mark reaches down for his belt buckle. <laughs> <laughs> no, like look, look how like, it was in like, like one wait, panel. Wait, wait, wait He's a second, naked. are we doing this again? <laughs> oh no! Come on, this guy has a fetish. I swear. <laughs> We also didn't mention that he has boots for some reason. <laughs> Poor Liz. Like, what must she? What, what must she have used to come home to? 
like her brother, like, you know, like wrestling with his friends and just like throwing all his clones off. Like, Ma, he's doing it again. (laughs) (laughs) He had issues from childhood. (laughs) Ma, Ma, why aren't you doing anything? Why are you crying? I don't know what my last name is. (laughs) They call me Mrs. Hilton at work. I don't know how I even spell my name with an A or an E. (laughs) And your dad's name is Mr. Brands. Nice. (laughs) Okay, that joke's been driven into the ground by me, though. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. That's okay. (laughs) This is the last we'll hear, folks. So after an entire page plus a little of nothing but sound effects and punches. I can't even call it Punchy Punchy Talk Talk because it's Punchy Punchy. So after all that, Raxton grabs Spidey from behind, determined to hold him forever because there's not much else. (laughs) Okay. But Ra- but Spidey shoots two web lines to the ceiling, grabs them, and somersaults backwards, pulling Raxton off his feet and upside down, forcing him to release his hold. There's more punchy punchy talk talk, interrupted by 100 toy soldiers and a call to sell grit, after which Molten Man smashes a window and makes a break for it. He runs home, but Spider-Man gets there ahead of him and is waiting in the shadows when he arrives. And I have to say that this panel right here might be the best part of the issue. Uh, Dude, no, it isn't possible. It isn't. This is a fine time to tell me. It's just, it's just great. He's like standing there in the shadows, and just like the red outlines of his shoulders are, you know, barely. It's very there. um Ralph Bashke, nineteen sixty seven Spider Man cartoon ish. It is. It is a bit like the the early cartoons. So yeah, that's the first panel of page fifteen. It's amazing. But the Molten Man attacks, crying, "Once I've beaten you, there'll be nobody left to stop me." Spidey replies, don't kid yourself. There's always Irving Forbush. Who's he? Forget it. It's an in-joke. And I do believe that this is the first mention of the non-entity Irving Forbush in the Spider-Man book. Hooray! Who's he again? He's nobody. He's um, a character that Stanley, a name that Stanley invented in the 50s to blame problems on. And then they became like a regular, like... He's he's like the skunky Beaumont of of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Actually, in, in Not Brand Eck, the comic, Forbush Man is a character. But, right, uh, I, I didn't know that, yeah. So Spider-Man grabs a couple of web ropes that he had fashioned ahead of time because he was planning ahead today. He starts trying to lasso the metalhead, again, because this is their thing. We get two pages of patchwork ads for various and sundry random crap, including a filter screen that you lay over your black and white television set to watch it in color for only $3. And finally, Spidey hogties the Molten Man. Raxton informs Spidey that his efforts were for naught because there's no way to prove he actually did any of the robbery attempts, but Spidey is confident that otherwise will prove to be the case. The police find the Molten Man in a web net with a note to wait for a few minutes, and he'll bring evidence of the Molten Man's culpability. So while they take him to the station, Spidey develops his film and delivers his photographic record of Molten Man's change of disguise and attempt to break into the jewelry store. That's that is so convoluted. Yeah. yeah. Right here. <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't want that. Spider-Man has a camera. Interesting. But enough of such sordid goings-on, let us now change our scene. It's a short time later as we visit the Daily Bugle with a pensive Peter Parker. He's ready to sell his remaining picks, but is nervous about seeing Betty. You're in luck, Pete. She's gone. Run away from her problems, and a replacement secretary is in her place. The only thing left of Betty is a photo of Peter she had in her desk, which the new girl returns to Pete, but he's all sad and angry and throws it away. Turns out Ned Leeds has gone too, and he is assuming that since Ned had wanted to marry Betty, and they're both gone, that they're 
off somewhere and probably French kissing or something. And the issue ends with Peter walking off into the Ditko haze of a shattered reality with phantom Betty heads floating along behind. <laughs> exactly like that, yes. <laughs> it's a very, very good description. Next ish, a swinging supervillain so different, so new, we can't even tell you his name yet. Because you haven't named him? Yeah, because guess what? We don't know. Yeah, there's a picture of the guy. In translation, Ditko wasn't talking to Stan and hadn't told him the new villain's name, so Stan hadn't figured it out yet either. We get a HypnoCoin ad and then all the extra stuff in the back, but let's finish discussing the story before all that. So, issue 35, gentlemen. Yeah, so Peter, who's like, huh, everyone's looking at spiders in the newspaper. I have to pretend to be afraid of spiders, or they might think I'm Spider-Man. He has no problem giving cops a picture and being like, yeah, I took these pictures while I was there. And then from the same (laughs) set of photographs, selling half of them to the Daily Bugle, or like the rest of the photos. No problems. I Thank God for the psychic mind block. (laughs) Never say that again. Okay, so that second to last page where um, new secretary is giving Peter uh, the Betty photo, bottom panels, middle panel, look at Peter's eyes. That's like... Very, um, very well rendered. Yeah, very well rendered, like his face there. Oh, yeah. I mean, talk about the emotion and just the angst and, and sadness poured into that image. That's really, really awesome. I, I, not knowing that, but like in the next page, like the like the top right where he says where he reads the picture, too bitty for Peter. I think that's a very very. Um, this sounds very kind of a cheap remark, but it sounds it's a very Ditko esque kind of panel. I see I see that uh, like like Jameson sucking on the cigar. I see that facial expression on a lot of Ditko's characters a lot, especially with those hands. I think Ditko's uh, Ditko's art has become much more stylized. It's not always evident in the Spider-Man comic, but I think this, the, the 1970s Steve Ditko style that we all kind of associate with his later career is definitely peaking out in these last few issues of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think we're all, I mean, we are, I know we are in agreement that this is a very mundane, not much to speak about issue, but I do like the fact that it's an issue where it's basically like a Spider-Man cartoon. He fights the villain. He, he figures out how to beat the villain. He beats the villain. Okay, okay. And then he goes back and then like real life hits him again. Oh wait, Betty's gone. And he has to he has, he has to kind of like face reality at the end, the last two pages of the comic book. And while I would I would I would have preferred more of the traditional Spider-Man tropes with that, I think um, the end does actually make this story enjoyable because it sort of comes out of nowhere. And I, and I think it's a very good storytelling technique to have that come at the very end after after almost being distracted by the superhero stuff. I, I just think it's a very well well done story technique. Otherwise, this issue would be completely worthless. Yeah, opinion. the only to me, this is a completely waste a complete waste of time. I mean, even with the last two pages, which you're right, they are the redeeming factor of the issue. That without it's just them, Peter finding out what happened last issue, right? And that could have been done differently in dialogue in the next issue, or in some bu- the next time he shows up in in the Daily Bugle, if, if that's 36 or 37 or whatever it is. There could be dialogue that covers the same things, that the same plot progression that happens here. But they are two very good pages, and they're the only things in the story I care about. Well, you guys understand what I'm saying, though. It's like if this, if if Spider-Man, if ASM is supposed to be not just Spider-Man, but the life of Peter Parker, you know, oh, oh you know, oh, stop the moment, man. Oh, take pictures. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, Betty left. Oh, yeah. I, this picture. I wonder when I wrote this. Must have been a lifetime ago. And, you know, the end. It ends I, it's a very it's like issue twenty one. I like that really kind of not somber ending, but how the whole thing. If you stack it up to the to, to the whole issue, it's just you know a day in the life, and that day is, the day doesn't end very well. I I really like that. A day in the life of Spider Man involves some sort of hassle with Peter Parker. Yeah, more or less. 
and vice versa. <laughs> and also, I, I, I love, I love I the bits think, and heads. Yeah, the bits. I do, I do think that this would have benefited from an Aunt May appearance, an ESU, you know, visit or something. Like this is. There's no Jonah in this issue. How often, like, there was one issue before we were talking. I was like, you know, this issue had no Jonah. I think it was issue 11, uh, the first Doc Ock one. Right, right. Well, the, the, not the first Doc Ock one. Issue I, 11? Yeah, no, I, 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 I mean, the first, the dot, like, Doc Ock returns. The first part of that story. Yeah. yeah. In the oh, middle yeah, of the yeah, Betty yeah. Brant saga. The mystery of Betty Brant. <laughs> the mystery is she borrowed money from the mob, but, you know, it's Peter's secret that's keeping them apart. Peter doesn't know. That's why it's a mystery. <laughs> why is Betty so angry or so sad? Dude, look at, like, the, the motion lines when the picture falls into the garbage. He did not drop that thing in there. Look at the angle. He chugged that thing in there. Like, yeah. sp- sp- as he, as he should have, like a man. Like, dude, the, glo- <laughs> the, the thing is, like, cracking. Like, it's not cracked when, like, he gives it when, when she gives it to him. Like, it lands in there cracked. That would not happen from falling into the garbage. Well, the- I mean, like, it's, it's up against the, the, the garbage is leaning up against the wall. I, I can see it breaking. From, like, a foot in the air? Yes, he is spider strength. <laughs> Dude, no, he, he was mad. He chugged that thing in there. Yeah, he, you don't know, no, yeah, he did He did chuck that thing in there with as much as with the strength of a spider or some crap like that. The strength or of a thousand spider. spiders. Or, or pissed off ex-boyfriend. No, I have to. I mean, what, what, what else can you really say? Spider-Man fights the Multiman. Again! See you next time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and really, the Molten Man fight in issue 28 was incidental to that issue as well. I mean, that issue was all about the graduation from high school. Yeah. And that was the main thrust. And there was just a superhero fight because you had to have a superhero fight. So we have two Molten Man fights. And so far, neither one has been very important. And that may be why the character goes away for 100 issues after this. I was about to say, yeah. I mean, you can see Stanley saying, you know what? I can't do much with this character. I mean, there's one... There's instances where you say, wow, Stanley didn't use the Scorpion for a long time. I wonder why. But this one, you understand why he wouldn't have. Yeah. Like, why, why would he? And Jerry Conway brings him back in issue 134. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a more annoying one. Like, yeah, that was Liz! when his on, on fire. fire. <laughs> that's, when it, that's when they established the Liz and Molten Man connection in that story. Mm-hmm. It was gorgeous for me to art in the first part. And then I think, I believe it's Gil Kane or... Uh, uh, what's the other guy that was on Dayson for a while? I can't remember. His name. Ross Andrew. Ross Andrew, yes. It's, Ross Andrew, I believe, is the second part. But I know Ramita Seam was in the first part, and I remember that panel with Liz. Like <gasps> Liz. Oh, let me breathe. Peter Parker. Ned Leeds played a very prominent role in that story too, from what I recall. <laughs> I don't remember Ned's in that, in that issue. Yeah, like I think that like Multiman almost killed Ned. Really? Oh yeah, no, no, because no, Peter, Peter breathes him in the, in the hospital, then he passes out, right? Yeah. We'll talk about that in the, you know five years. Or two or three, depending on how many more breaks we take. So our house ad for this issue features Fantastic 449, entitled If This Be Doomsday, with Galactus and the Silver Surfer. I know, I've actually read that. I don't remember it very well, but I do remember it. So speaks Galactus. To be honest, I mean, I know that 48 through 50 has such this, you know, huge impacting place in the Marvel Universe because it introduced Galactus and the Silver Surfer, but... The story is not exactly amazing. It's not terrible. I think it would have benefited from for more irony. Irony. <laughs> yeah, more irony. Almost, I mean, I don't, I don't want to insult Gerard behind his back or anything, but I've not read. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not read much Fantastic Four, but the ones I have, I've not really been as wild by them as I have Spider Man. It's an excellent story, I guess. Uh, story ideas. There, there's some really good story ideas in that story. Lots of really good pieces. But overall, as, as a, like a, a great saga of early comics, I, there are better ones for me. 
there's also in the ad Thor 126, where you see Thor and Hercules fighting on the cover, because they do that. And then Marvel Collector's Item Classics is in its second issue of reprints, and this time it gives us the Fantastic Four 3, Amazing Spider-Man number 4, and the Ant-Man story from Tales to Astonish 37. Now, the interesting thing about this issue, besides the fact that it's reprinting one of the books we covered, is that the page count, 64 pages, was the same as the first issue. The price was also the same, 25 cents. But you only got three stories here instead of four, which you got in the first one. And those remaining pages were replaced with ads. So you actually got significantly less for your 25 pennies than you did with the previous issue. I just thought that was kind of a neat little, uh, interesting little um, money-making move on Marvel's part. We also have Marvel bullpen bulletins, more mirthful, monumental, mind-staggering memoranda from your Marvel madmen. But the only item in the, that affects us is tangentially related to Spider-Man. It yeah, says, yeah. did you know... Did you know that you serious collectors can build a complete file of all our early superhero stories by not missing an ish of the sensational giant-sized 25-cent Marvel collector's item classics on sale every three months? Of course, it'll take a few centuries for us to reprint all of our early epics in this manner, but think of the fun you'll have growing old with Marvel. They did fully intend, it sounds like from here, to reprint like their entire library to date through this reprint mag. But Spider-Man no longer appears in it after this second issue. So we no longer care about Marvel Collector's Item Classics from this point forward. We also get 26 more MMMS members listed and the Mighty Marvel Checklist. Then there's an ad for all the Marvel clothes and other goodness from this marching society. And finally, the Spider's Web. <laughs> and what's in the Spider's Web, you ask? We have an email. I always say that. I'm so silly. We have a letter from Brad Redderson says, Dear Stan and Steve, You surely give Spidey enough problems. I don't know how you can think of so many each month. Imagine, in issue number 31, he got in trouble with almost all of his teachers. He gave everybody in school the wrong impression of him. He got in trouble with Betty. And his dear old Aunt May is sick with little time left, not to mention failing to capture his enemies. Don't you guys in the bullpen ever celebrate Be Kind to Spider-Man Week? Oh well, I guess things will turn out all right. Even if Spidey has to buy a Brand X comic to conquer everything. I don't think anyone is left in this world who would buy one of your competitors' comics, even to save their dear aunt. Would any of you in the bullpen do that? Wow. That's... Yeah. And um, the response is, not if they want to keep working here. Aw, oh, we're only kidding, Brad. We're sure our competitors must have some titles that are worth buying. The fact that we've never found any probably just means we haven't been looking hard enough. No, that was a little petty and cheap and yeah, was, <laughs> a little bit snarky there. <laughs> and then we have Tani Bakazi, who writes from the American University of Beirut in Lebanon. So they send him a free subscription for his troubles. So he doesn't have to scrounge around in Lebanon for their comics. Very nice. And then we have John Brandt. He writes, Dear Stan and Steve, please... I ask you, as a dedicated Spider-Man fan, for every honest-to-goodness Marvel madman, knock off Aunt May. <laughs> I mean, after all, what type of teenager, no matter how special he may be, could stand an ugly nag like her? If nothing else, she's nothing but a problem to him. I didn't mind good Uncle Ben and his converted rice. He didn't mind good Uncle Ben. He had, like, he, he did nothing. That's exactly <laughs> why. <laughs> I didn't mind the dead guy. The guy who, like, you know, was, how many pages was F Amazing Fantasy 15, the Spider-Man story? 11. 11 pages. And, like, how many of those, like, pages was Uncle Ben in? Like, four? He strokes Peter's arm and dies. 
<laughs> You're worse than a room full of alarm clocks. Here's a microscope, son. Oh no, he's dead. <laughs> I, I, did, I, did, I didn't mind that guy. <laughs> and he makes good rice too, according to John. But you had to do away with him. Now that nasty old witch is pushing our poor hero around and making him nuts. If you don't get rid of her soon, we may find our web-headed friend in the loony bin someday. You can be nice about her death. Just have Aunt May trip on her crutches or choke on her <laughs> beauty pills or even have a heart attack after reading this great letter. Speaking as spokesman for the I Hate Aunt May because she's a troublemaking nag society, I want you to know that if you don't do something soon, we may be forced to picket the Baxter building until we get the Fantastic Four to do the job for us. Remember, the thing has an Aunt Petunia, but she doesn't boss him around. That's because he's bigger and uglier than she is. Actually, yeah, because Aunt Petunia showed up once and she was a little haughty. Just saying. Oh, really? well, so why does Petey Parker have such problems? I hope by the time you receive this letter, the old witch will be gone. We can't take much more of her, and I bet Spider-Man is getting pretty sick of Pruneface himself. If, if, if he's this mad, he should check out the Spider-Man Daily Strips. Oh, oh no! The thing actually has an opportunity to kill on me, but he's not taking it yet. <laughs> uh-uh. For those of you who are listening at home, currently in the Spider-Man Daily Strips, oh, <laughs> he's been kidnapped by the Mole Man. But there's a twist: Mole Man wants to take a love wife. Everyone assumes that it's the haughty Mary Jane, but he's got his eyes on good old May Parker herself. And the Peter of the Thing and Mary Jane surprise: May's actually considering going through with the marriage. Whoa! Ah. Web snappers, what's gonna happen next? Tune in tomorrow. Wow. Thanks, Josh, for the little recap there. But that was the majority of John Brandt's letter. I should do, like, my issue recaps like that. Just improv. Just like, I'm not, like, whoa, Norman Osborn snuck up behind Spider-Man and knocked him out and then shot Strom with the rifle. What is Osborn up to? Well, speaking of Mole Man wanting to bag Aunt May, um, part of the reply here is, do you want us to lose half our fans? We've been told that Mischievous May provides the romantic interest for our older spider-files. Just wait till you get 50 or 60 years older. You're liable to think she's a real pussycat. That was me spitting my drink out. Okay, Stan. <laughs> Stan. Yeah, you, tell, you tell us whatever you want. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure that there's people writing in, Whoa, Dicko, can you draw more shots of Aunt May? Particular- yeah, it says the guy who said that she was hot in that one panel, I know, but like, still. And the last one I wanted to read was from Art Ravison. He says, Dear Stan and Steve, Now that your comics have become controversial enough to appear in the Village Voice, Cavalier, and to get Spider-Man's and the Hulk's picture in Esquire as two of the 28 people who count the most with the teenage and college rebels, I feel you should take a serious stand. My main concern is Spider-Man. Will he enter adulthood as a superhero defending the United States, giving money to charities such as orphanages and hospitals? Or, as I so desperately hope, will he go through college and become the first intellectual left-wing liberal superhero, helping to stop wars, supporting SNCC, Corps and the NAACP, singing songs of Bob Dylan and every so often commenting on the works of Jean-Paul Sartre. Spider-Man has the potential to become the greatest comic hero of all times. Already his followers have disregarded the other groups of phony superheroes, and as a member of the MMMS, I would like to urge you to give Spider-Man a break. Don't push him into manhood too quickly. Give him a chance to develop into a superhero with a mind of his own, a personality, and at least a better judge of clothing. The choice, gentlemen, is up to you. <laughs> Art Ravison, Stockbridge School, Interlochen, Massachusetts. He's going to get more political when uh, Romita's on the book. Definitely. That's a typical 60s world-moving liberal type of thing to write about Spider-Man, which 
you know, I don't mean to sound cynical when I say that because I'm pretty liberal-minded as a, as a, you know, politically speaking myself, but it's a very silly letter. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, Don. I don't think he got political in the Ramita days at all. What, what were they protesting? Dorm rooms? And then he has that, like, one comment when Flash went to Vietnam, like, oh, I don't know what's worse, fighting here or Flash fighting in a war that we shouldn't be fighting. That, like, one comment. <laughs> and then Robbie Robinson and his son Randy and Randy calling James. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was Paul. And what, what, was, what, was, what was the guy's name? Bullet call, calling Robbie a Sambo. And yeah, nah, nah, that was, that was all. That was all um, conservative social issues. Yeah, Spider-Man's never really been much of a political commentator. I mean, I think Marvel has chosen other heroes to voice their views, but Spider-Man has rarely been the one. Well, actually, actually, like seriously, like um, after Stan got off the book, because I think Stan was really the one who really brought all that stuff out. Was there any? I know, like I know Peter David. I heard Peter David's spectacular was, and he gave Spider-Man a more conservative tone, especially with the Sin Eater arc. Was there, has there ever been an, an, a writer who brought a lot of politics into the books? I can't think of any off the top of my head. JR was on. He'd talk about like Joe Kelly and the Obama fist bump from twenty four seven. Well, that annoyed everybody. That annoyed, that annoyed me, and I voted for him. I mean, but that but that's the thing. That's why they haven't made Spider Man too political is because they don't want to risk alienating somebody one way or the other. You can't have Spidey say, you know, well, Proposition Eight is just the bee's knees, or Proposition Eight, <laughs> or Proposition Eight sucks. You know, like either way, like somebody's going to be offended. Howard Mackey did have that one thing, um, like in that annual where Mary Jane came back, um, like Howard Mackey's last book. Uh, Aunt May's talking about how like Anna Watson like voted for the wrong president in the year two thousand. And the issue closes with a next issue box. There's something different coming up for you in our next great Spidey saga. These past couple of issues have featured the return of former villains, but in Spider-Man 36, we've got a brand new one all powered up and raring to go. We think you'll really go for our mystery man. You know, it took us longer to dream up a name for him than to write the story itself. At first, we were going to call him the Meteor Man. And then, well, you'll learn all about that yourself next-ish. Till then, don't wiggle your webs and face front. Now... Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure that he's been called the meteor, man. He's been called a few things. I think the looter is probably the worst thing they could have chosen for him, but we'll talk about that. <laughs> In the meantime, we're going to take a little break here. After these messages, we'll be right back. Yeah. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man of and more supermanhomepage.com so we're back to talk about amazing spider-man number 36 which was released on february 10th 1966 with a cover date of may and donovan has the details i'm gonna try to go as slowly as possible <laughs> to get it all in there spidey as you like him in college in trouble in action, action, action! That sounds like a James Bond trailer. <laughs> so I think that there is like a Bond poster. It's like James Bond as you like him in love in this. It's like like mixing business with girls, mixing thrills with girls, mixing play. it, it like the first mixing one, like, girls with girls, <laughs> and then some. 
to him, it's just a drop in the ocean. You only live twice, circa 1967. Okay. <laughs> As I said, when falls the meteor, there is a... The cover is Spider-Man and his villain, which we will find out is called the Looter. And they're surrounded by a bunch of planets and a fiery sun. It looks like a planetal display. Spider-Man tries to leap on the Looter, but the Looter catches him in a punch while his right hand holds his um, Dazzler gun. And to describe the Looter, if you don't recognize or, or know of him, he has... Not exactly a bodysuit. He has like a white vest with dark purple under under long long sleeve undershirt with white gloves. His mask has black eyes with spikes at the top of them and uh, a black part where the mouth is. This is very strange. Yeah, it's hard to describe. It's one of those yeah. you just gotta look up. Yeah, don't just don't rely on us. Just do it yourself, <laughs> you audience. Okay. <laughs> If you can download a podcast onto your MP3 player, then you can Google the Looter Marvel what? Comics. Just make sure that you Google the Looter and Marvel Comics, not just the Looter, or you're going to get some uh, <laughs> some sick stuff. Interestingly <laughs> enough, though, the comic covers for the issues we talk about are scanned and visible at the top of every episode's posting on AmazingSpiderMan.Libsyn.com. So you can see the Looter there. Now we go to the splash page where it repeats the title, Wind Falls the Meteor. And it's a lot more dynamic. They are in the middle of the air in the city. Spider-Man appears to be falling while trying to battle the looter. You see him from you see him from his back. He's so trying to kick him in the balls. Yeah, he is. Like, if I go, I'm taking you down with me this <laughs> no, way. Look at his foot. He's going to kick him in the nuts. <laughs> um, and he's hanging from, you don't see the top of it, but he's hanging from his like, balloon thing. I'm a jig. He's hanging from the title. <laughs> <laughs> the title is his helium balloon. And the physics and science don't even add up to that. But as we say, in which Spidey must face the mortal menace of the uncanny looter. Script and editing by Stan Lee. Plot and artwork by Steve Ditko. Lettering and stuff by Artie Simek. Lettering and stuff. <laughs> yeah, verbatim, yes. And the first caption just reads, A Meteor Falls! Which, I mean, I, I don't want to just be very gracious to plug your Golden Age Superman podcast, John. But uh, that's very Superman-esque. Like, a very... Kurt Short. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just a, a, a very brief sentence as the caption. Yeah, it's very, very Golden Age Superman. Dun-dun-dun. dun 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 That's Bronze Age Superman, dude. I don't care. <laughs> and Josh started again. Going beyond these short, short sentence captions, a man named Norton G. Fester has happened upon a meteor. He thinks this will lead him to fame and fortune. He turns out to be wrong! Because all his friends and colleagues in the scientific community shut him away. He tries to open a, a deposit for the bank, saying, oh, I'll pay you back as soon as I'm famous, with interest. And they say, well, you're crazy, so that'll never happen. You'll be sorry. You'll all be sorry, you rats. That was, that was from Dr. No. I'm still on the James Bond thing. Now, <laughs> now, Fester thinks he's got on something really special here, so he tries to make some money off of this. He tries to experiment and says, just because I flunked science in school doesn't mean I can... I can't ever discover the secrets of the universe. And there lies the problem. (laughs) (laughs) This guy, he's like going to all these science people in this banks, and it's like, oh, so you want to sign this meteor? That's right. Um, You failed science. You want want our bank to invest in you. Look, this rock fell from the sky, and it's going to make me rich and famous. Are you in? Yeah. You're going to have to go borrow from some other bank. Would you, you like to open the checking account? <laughs> I should probably describe him without the mask. He has like a kind of a goat chin, 
dark brown hair, and his chin hair is like a goatee, so this guy is kind of distinctive. I think uh, Ditko's having fun with the design. And he says as he begins to hammer on the meteor, even if I can't raise money for a fancy lab or expensive equipment, I'll just chip away on my own. Maybe I'll accidentally stumble upon something, like Isaac Newton. And you guess it, friend. NGF is a part-time nut. Yes, he is. He's also a pussycat, according to the next caption. As he hits a gas fixture, and gas spurts all over from the meteor onto his face, he goes unconscious for a few moments, and then he realizes that he has superhuman strength. Which, are we going to mark this up to the things that either should have killed him or not given him any powers? Because it could have been both. Yeah. It's gas. Weird gas from space can do anything. I mean, it's, it's not like spitting into my, my reality or anything, but it's it's a little... I mean, it's comics, but it's rather convenient also. He's it's actually sort of lying, lying on the anybody. floor for the whole book. He's just lying on the floor. This is just like an LSD trip. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Spider-Man meteor. Oh. oh. The rest of the issue happens in his head. With that look on page uh, four, he's just like looking at, oh, yes, ah, ah. So he finds out he has superhuman agility and strength, which is par for the course in Marvel Comics. Nevermore will I worry about getting money when I want it. Not now, with my superhuman power, the world will eventually belong to Norton G. Fester by planning carefully. But enough about that guy. We cut back to Peter Parker finally getting onto ESU after having needed to cut classes for the last few issues battling the Master Planner and Craven the Hunter and the Molten Man. Yeah, yeah. He does, does he say the Master Planner? Uh, no, I was, I was making that up. But yeah, because... It is Craven and Molten Man. The Craven and Molten Man fights, we actually... I know we brought this out in the Craven discussion, how he spent several days doing nothing, that he didn't go after the Craven, <laughs> that he was just going to school, letting Craven impersonate him and do whatever he wanted to do before he finally went after the Craven for the one fight. And also with the Molten Ultimate. Man issue that we just talked about, he there were several days of him waiting for a blip on his thing. He didn't spend time going after these guys that he had to cut classes at least not enough classes to matter he was Maybe playing around in his room he was like he was like, like science 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 i better go find find multiman again okay you know what if you're cutting classes you can sit beside your spider tracer tracker and wait for it to beep at you um that's fail <laughs> well he's a freshman so you know you know how many freshmen drop out in the first semester of college yeah but he's peter parker he's supposed to be smarter than that so Peter's trying to make some friends uh, at his new school, but because of the events of the last several issues where they thought he was high-hatting them, as it were, he has no luck. He tries greeting them. They all try, try to make excuses and walk off. So he feels like, you know, man, everybody's become friends on their own. I'm, I'm on the outs again. This is just like high school, pretty much. Unbeknownst to him, a girl named Sally Green wants to make friends with him while Liz – or not – crap <laughs> – well, Gwen Stacy... <laughs> Weren't you telling me? <laughs> nice little Freudian slip there, like, oh, Josh, Gwen's not a copy of Liz. <laughs> Josh, you lied. Sally Avril isn't dead. Here she is right here. Sally Green. She changed her name to protect the innocent. <laughs> Dude, somebody will totally, like, go back and be like, Sally Avril's still alive. She changed her name to Green. She's in the Witness Protection Program, <laughs> living in the same city, know. going to school with the people that she went to high school with, Wearing and keeping the same first name. <laughs> and flirting with the same boys. Yeah, she never flirted with Peter. She I still say you're wrong about Parker being a snob, Gwen, and I'll prove it to you. Be my guest, Sal. So Sally tries to Sally introduce herself to Peter, and they hit off pretty well. They're pretty excited, and they say, join us later at my place after class. And he says, oh, that sounds just swell. Gwen says, I never understand it. I never thought they hit, hit it off so well. She must have said the secret word. 
But then Sally says she's very excited and anxious to meet somebody who's not just bronze and strength. And this turns Peter off because he just doesn't want to be known for his smarts, which is stupid. <laughs> I mean, do I like seriously? Like, like, oh no, no, no. recognizing me for I, my intelligence. I can't let this happen. Not again. She only likes me for my brain. Oh no. <laughs> I, 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 like, come on now. Like, come on, son. Dude, look at so, those um that that bottom panel. Like Peter's eyes and Sally's face on page five. She's really excited and he's really wary. Oh, no, no, she no, looks no. like she's about to eat him. <laughs> You're so scrumptious, Peter Parker. Mm, look at you. You got that brain of yours. And he. <laughs> look at your lips. Like... <laughs> <laughs> so Peter doesn't want to be known as just an egghead. So he says, I might, but I might be pretty busy. I'll, I'll let you know if I can. Sally yeah, um, bad move, turns Peter. No chocolate for you. Yeah. She's like, oh, I thought, I mean, you. Oh, well, all right. So she turns a complete 180 and says, I tip my wig to you, lady. You had a pegged 100% right. When I thought he was acting human, he gave me the brush, but good. And then Gwen, not helping this situation at all, says, Welcome to the club, Sal. You're one of us now. So Peter just says, I don't want this to be another Betty Brant situation. I must... And he doesn't say it in the dialogue, but essentially he, he must... What is he? Hide his smarts or something? Or... I don't yeah, there, is there any sort of? I mean, okay. He says she only liked me for my brains too, and I couldn't go through that kind of heartbreak again. That's not what happened. Yeah, but he was young. Peter was young. He doesn't understand what happened with him and Betty. Like he, she was he thinks he thinks he, she she might she might have been, but she he thinks it's his fault still. Like and like he he doesn't understand why the relationship really failed because he takes responsibility for everything, including his parents, you know, dying in a war while he was a baby. Does he really feel responsible for that? I never actually heard of. Yeah, like, <laughs> like he knows it's irrational, but there's been like JMD Mateus stuff where like he's like, I blame myself, and then like. Yeah, no, but that's what kids feel like. They feel like if oh, if I was a better child, my parents wouldn't have gone on an airplane and like crashed and died. Or walk down like, the alley and get shot to death. No, I, I get that. I can see that. It's just weird to see it here because... And <laughs> Peter Parker? <laughs> you don't say guilt, shame? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, Peter is, like, going to carry the, like, the blame for the Betty Brant breakup with him until the end of time. If I, if I ever read Spider-Man, I'm going to make that end of time come very soon and have that resolved. Because that's, <laughs> that's... Betty gets away with it. Grr, like, evil woman. So uh, we go from ESU to the uh, Midtown Bank, and Fester has now fashioned himself the costume on the cover, calling himself the looter, and just rolls through the place, blinding everybody with his dazzle light gun, and steals the money. Easy, easy peasy. He goes back to his apartment and says, it worked so perfectly, but this is just the beginning. Each job will be more bigger, more spectacular. So the days go on without this guy being caught, but Spider-Man actually is shown in the next panel looking for him and trying to catch him. I just had to stop you for a second here, um, Don, because we get where his name came from. He says, my greatest talent lies in crime. There can be no doubt. I was born to be a master criminal, a super criminal. I was born to be the looter. (sighs) And it's just like, okay, that's your name, and that's why you're going to use that name. I mean, we already knew that he wasn't exactly a full pint, but this is... (laughs) It's a phrase I've never heard before. (laughs) He's a bloody loony. He's a fool. Um, I realized why I was never made the great as a scientist. I was never cut out to be a scientist. He's he's kind of become it's one. It's, this is one thing. Right? This is the first time he's robbed anybody. 
Like, this is having so many... Like, granted, he is good at this, I suppose, because he, he does get away with it for a while, but that's why I call it Counting One's Chickens. As Spider-Man searches for him, we go back to Luther's apartment, and he realizes that there's no more gas for him in the meteor, so he needs to get more of the power source. No, 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 no. He worries that maybe eventually there won't be... Well, no, there's, there's, no, there's more no more gas. He left. worries that that means his powers are going to fade. Uh, yeah. He doesn't well, know yeah. that his powers are going to fade. He just worries that they might. Whoops. Well, essentially, yeah. He need, he needs to find more of, of the origin of his powers so he can so he can ensure the regulation of his powers. That's what he's going to do. Um, at right. the space exhibit, which which this meteor is being held at, this extra meteor, Peter tries to get his mind off Betty by going in there, and Gwen Stacy happens to see him at the same time. So she devises her little feminine intuition to try to see if she can accidentally bump into him inside. And this turns out to be a very terrible mistake, but we'll get into that right now. I can see like a sitcom montage of like, you know, some wacky music playing with like scenes of like Gwen trying to like, you know, pass by Peter as he's like looking at test tubes and like her getting more and more frustrated and like being less and less subtle as like the montage goes on. (laughs) Peter is paying too much attention to the exhibits. And Gwen gets upset at this because that's how he rolls. While the looter is looking at the new meteor for him to steal. He busts in, makes a play for the meteor, and Peter sees this and now is thinking to himself, Peter Parker can't tackle him. I've got to change to Spider-Man. Gwen looks at this, mouths WTF, and says, Why, that unmitigated coward! He's running away frightened! So while the, the looter beats everybody up and makes a, makes a play for the meteor, Spider-Man now appears on the scene and they have a knockout dragout fight. Looters pushes an, ex- an exhibit instrument into P- into Spider-Man's face, and while he starts, he distracts him for a bit. Spider-Man gets the drop on him until Looter pulls out his dazzle gun. It's never failed me before, and it won't fail me now. But Spider-Man closes his eyes and uses spider sense to go after him. And while Looter actually ends up getting Looter actually ends up getting away, Spider-Man tries to put the instruments of the exhibit back together. He chases back to Peter Parker and runs into Gwen, meets her. Hey, Gwen, enjoy the exhibit? And Gwen is not happy. Her, her dialogue is all frozen, and she has these really bad stink, stink eye looks on him. I was until now, Parker. Huh? What did I do? What's wrong? It's what you didn't do. And she thinks to herself, you didn't stay and try to help. And while Peter is thinking to himself, how could anyone so pretty be such a nut? Gwen has this really nasty look on her face, which honestly startles me every time I see it. Vulcan eyebrows and just this... This really disdainful look on her face. It's not attractive. But Peter has a thought, how can anyone so pretty be such a nut? And this is an important life lesson. You know, craziness and hotness are independent of each other. You have to make sure that the level of crazy in a woman is outweighed by the level of hot. Those are the women that you want. How can somebody be so so pretty be such a nut? Who did you just break up with? <laughs> he, never, he never realized. Well, he didn't realize that. You have learned nothing. Yeah, but that wasn't Peter's fault. It was the fault of his secrets. <laughs> Would you guys agree that Gwen is more attractive than Betty? So the more attractive they are, the nuttier they are? <laughs> the more attractive they are, the more nutty they're allowed, they're allowed to be. i definitely say that Dicko Gwen is more attractive than Betty. Yeah. What, this, this, the, the, that said, Dicko's Gwen scares me. Yeah, the, the, uh, seriously, like, the faces... I want to make a point of this. The faces he draws for her, like, when she has like, her face upturned on uh, the third panel on the 14th and the fourth panel, that look she gives him on, on the corner of her eye, those are really, like... I mean, they're not bad drawings, but she looks so hateful. And you, you've you never... When people think of Gwen Stacy, you're not going to see... You're not going to think of this. Not at all. 
but they probably they probably either block these out of their minds or just chose to forget them. Yeah, no, she she forever wears a green trench coat and um a headband, <laughs> and, has, and her hair is like fluttering out behind her as she runs. Yeah. yeah. So Fester goes back to his apartment, saying he should he should not have blundered in the way he did, and wants to plan more for the next time he wants to get to Meteor. Peter runs into, runs into the people back at ESU, and Flash offers to throw the po- football with him. Peter flippantly responds, nah, if I threw you, you'd have a fit. Gwen responds by saying, Peter Parker out-throwing Flash. That's the funniest thing I've heard all day. <laughs> yeah, I have one word for you. Bitch. <laughs> As Peter says. And I think I'm everyone's, like, slightly afraid of Gwen in this panel. She's just, like, <laughs> laughing, and, like, she won't stop. And they're like, uh, Gwen, what's so funny? She's like, I'll tell you later. I'm too busy laughing right now. She's all, like, starting to go maniacal, and they're kind of giving her a look. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> And I guess Flash is kind of turned on, because, like, look at, like, look how mad she's smiling. And he's like, his arms are open. He's like, oh. Come on, baby. What's and thus so begins the Gwen Flash. No, just oh, no. That <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah, but you can tell how annoyed Peter is. Like, and it's really a a very believable expression. Like, he's just like, "What is it with you? Shut up!" And he just like leaves. He's like, "Why do I always get interested in girls that can't see me for dust?" So yeah, Gwen is annoying. Spider Man ends up looking for Looter, saying, "It's probably too early to hunt for him now. I'll go back, uh, give Aunt May her worries some rest, and go back for the Looter later." And in typical Marvel fashion, he ends up saying, "My patience paid off." I knew I watched long enough as Luder tries to make a play for the meteor once more. He breaks in and nearly snatches it, but Spider-Man swings in saying, Spider-Man, or Luder says, Spider-Man, but how? It's a long story, but if you're really interested. And then the, the Luder chucks the meteor at him. He says, I thought so. You didn't want to hear it. There's a lot more punchy, punchy, run, run, punchy, punchy, talk, talk, action and dialogue. As the fight heads out over, over, over the city due to the, to the Luder's hot air balloon. Spider-Man Flips with his web shooters up on the hot air balloon, and the two have a close quarters combat, fist to fist battle, where they pretty much out, try to out punch each other. At one instance, his web his web fluid snaps, and he starts to fall, but he manages to grab onto the looter's foot and closes him right on his lap, and then just punches the daylights out of him. It kind of well, tries to be a vulture fight, but it's not. That's what I, I was thinking. thinking. Yeah, I like it better than the vulture fight, though. Yeah, I do too. Mainly because it's not the vulture. Mainly because it's not the vulture. <laughs> Like, like, I like I like how because here, he he tries like you know make with the make with the quips and starts laughing. He doesn't realize he's already he's already knocked him out a while ago. Like he keeps on like he can tell when the looter loses consciousness. He's like oh, and like Spider-Man keeps on pushing him. He's like oh son of a gun, he fell asleep on me. So he un- unmasks him and we cut to Josh as Josh says. Oh okay. Well, he's not gonna play anymore. I might as well see who he is. <gasps> No wonder he wore a mask. He sure wouldn't cop any beauty prizes, but I never saw him before in my life. Uh, See? You Marvelites were probably expecting it to be like, you know, Flash Thompson or Professor Warren. (laughs) You know, if this was the distinguished competition, it would be the butler or something. But our Marvel mags are realistic. Whenever we unmask someone, (laughs) we make a point of telling you that it's not not someone that you've seen before in real life. Just like with Electro. Just like with – who else did they do it with? Uh, Crime yeah, Crime Mask. This is like we we, we we know that neither Flash nor Professor Warren is the type to ever put on a costume. <laughs> Wait a minute. There are. Oh. Don't worry, Flash. You'll always have those legs. <laughs> or will you? So um, so as Spider-Man is realizing that not everybody he knows can be a criminal, 
He lowers the hot air balloon down to the streets for the cops. You have to make it the rest of the way solo, Looty. This is where I get off. So he flashes the, the spider signal onto, onto the looter's unconscious body as the cops come. And he says, I'll read about it in the paper tomorrow, how the guy got his powers. In James's paper, with my photos in it, I hope. And that's the end of the story. Coming up next, the minutes of the Rampaging Robots. Enough said. And it's not built by Smythe. Yeah, no, no Smythe's not gone crazy just yet. Yeah, I always get confused about this particular issue because it's not a Smythe issue. And I'm like wondering why. It should be a Smythe issue, but it's not. Well, see, so I think that that's one of the most important issues of the Dicko run because it does set up so much, and there's a lot of stories that play off of threads left in that upcoming. Oh issue. yeah, and oh, not, well, not only that, but like in the '90s, they they come back to Mental Stromal in a big way. Yeah, they do. Yeah. We'll talk about that next time, though. Let me, uh, Sally Green. At one point before Untold Tales, there's your Untold Tales reference. We almost got through an episode. There was an official Marvel index that when they talked about this issue, because this predated the publication of Untold Tales, the index, it said Sally Green. And in parentheses, it says, quite, it might possibly be the same Sally from Amazing Fantasy 15. So at one point. Yeah, now, now we know that she's not, but at one point they thought that this might be the same Sally, so. So I was not completely off base by making that joke. You were not off base by taking that joke. Um, it was almost canon, so there you I go. I mean, they do look alike. As, they do look similar from her appearance in um, AF15. See, um, if you had to like examine it, though, it would be kind mm-hmm. of hard to say that it's the same Sally because of the conversation that she's having with Gwen. It's like well, Sally, I mean, I was, doesn't, she doesn't know Sally doesn't know Peter, and like she's going to see Peter and have a conversation with him to get to know him for herself. And she's like, yeah, I guess you were right, Gwen. I don't think that, like, if this is a girl who went to high school with Peter and if Peter tried to hit on at one point, they'd be having that conversation. The Maybe same, not. The same, in, in the same context, rather. Mm-hmm. But it's also been, you know, three years since that issue was done, so I may have forgotten. Stanley yeah, I, 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 I don't I don't think that the continuity of, like, the two Sallys was prevalent in either of their minds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... At the end of the issue, this is one of those, like, art versus uh, script thing. Lee versus Dicko, really. Okay, yeah, it's before the final battle with the looter. Okay, last two panels on page 15, Spider-Man's waiting outside the museum, and he's like, well, I'm going to check on Aunt May. And then if you didn't have that caption, like, saying, but looter doesn't show up that night, nor the next, nor even the next. However, at the end of the week, like, you would think that Spider-Man just, like, went around the corner. Yeah, I had the same note that, like, um... It's, it's a weird time skip. It, the the story actually flows very smoothly that there's no reason to have a several-day gap in there, and I'm kind of curious as to why Lee felt like it was necessary when he was scripting it. I think it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a bad judgment call in terms of storytelling because you really, it, was, it was excessive, but that's all there was to do. I mean, he, he was probably just, just like, um, man, I, I, need to, I need to add this extra time skip in here. I mean, or else they're going to be confused when it's not that at all. While we're on this page 16... Panel four, the looter looms over the meteor and he's like, You should have realized that resistance would be completely futile against one as powerful as I. And um, I just want to say that the uh, looter, as loony as he is, he does link his subject pronouns correctly. The grammar Nazi is pleased. But he flunked science. It'd be funk science. But not but, you know, that, that, that was because he was practicing grammar. He was going to the grammar rodeo. And it was also because of the hypno-coin. <laughs> and on the next page, 
after a very, very long, sad absence. We now have the return of the darling pet monkey for eighteen ninety-five. <laughs> Sound effects provided by Irving Forbish. Irving Forbish. Yes. Uh, well, we're talking about the uh, the looter's dialogue. I was going to bring up the fact that yeah, obviously, I mean, we can talk about talk about it soon later. But um, when he, I know for a fact when he does show up in Sensational Spider-Man number is it number six eight. He talks like this. Like this is actually like his uh, the tone of voice he has. Like this very over dramatic, and I think it's spe- uh, specific to his character, not just always a villain. So he's to talk like an idiot. He, he's it's this very verbose, um, um, melodramatic kind of way. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting. He sure de-aged a lot too. I, I, I thought. Well, I guess. He, oh, he didn't age at all. No, but uh, da. Like look, look at the beginning of the issue. Like those first few pages, and then look at like a recent looter like issue that came out. With the exact same design, yeah. Looter looks like, yeah, no, but like his face when he's unmasked, like uh, the begin, like the cover of that Amazing Spider-Man family story. Looter looks like he can be a few years older than Peter Parker. There, here he looks like a contemporary of of, Octo, of Otto Octavius or Norman Osborn. Uh, I, I think honestly, I think it's just a um, artist design, artist artist difference. Though I will agree, he does he does definitely have more wrinkles, but um, that's a dicko thing. I, I, I may say. His hair, his hair is grayed, and he has like a lot of facial hair. Oh, is that? I mean, I, 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 I guess you're looking in essentials, so. Yeah. Color your it's, book in. Will do. <laughs> Where's my color pencils? I love how the guy, like the beginning of the story, meteor falls. He goes out to get it, and this is just some random ass rock from space. But Fesser just knows it's going to prove his theory about meteors, because you know all meteors are alike. And I mean, this, this entire guy's character history is based on, on assumption and also in page one down on the bottom the um the left hand corner panel he says but norton g fester is not the type to take no for an answer if he were this would be the shortest spider-man tale on record very similar to a line he used in the previous issue where spider-man's going to attack the molten man for the first time and he says something like if we didn't have a superhero you know it's a good thing we have the superhero here it's convenient for us or we'd have a superhero story without a superhero it's just, you know, the sort of same sort of joke, and I just have to wonder, you know, if it was, it was us in on, a, on a trip those two months or what. We should read the other Marvel books. That's one. Well, if Iron Man didn't have his iron, then this would be a really short story. Doesn't <laughs> crap like that, yeah. Oh, Thor's hammer came back. Well, if it went away, this would be the longest Thor story ever. And Fester wow. is trying to get his science friends to help him with his science, and he says he needs How money. I must have money to finance my science into the origin of science and the scienceness. Sorry, Fester. We're more interested in making new miracle ingredients for hair tonic. Try a bank. Mm-hmm. How does that, he have science colleagues if he flunks science? Because he got them through science. But I just have to wonder if that's like some sort of dig in modern climate. society. Like <laughs> scientists of today are too busy worrying about hair stuff than they are about actual, you know, progress. Through this tonic, we'll grow our hair back with science! But science! Maybe they were his science tutors, and, like, they just keep on hanging around with him because they feel guilty that he flunked science and that they, like, took his tutoring money anyway. (laughs) Okay, page four, first two panels. What is he doing there? Before he jumps? He's taking it all in. I'd better examine myself more completely. I feel so strong, so alive, as though I can do anything. And he's, he's just, like, bending over, and it looks like, I mean, seriously, like, he should have a toilet underneath him or something. Ah, no, no, no. He, he's, he's just, like, being all spry and springy. Okay. Oh, I, I forgot the meteor can make him jump really high. Yes, like the kangaroo. 
<laughs> meteors can do. Yeah, it's the power. The kangaroo's like, oh, while we're on kangaroo, that's like, that's my least favorite uh, D Spider-Man villain. Why the that kangaroo was, is one of Conley's more memorable stories. <laughs> that guy, had, that, that guy had it coming. Like, oh no, he blew up the door shut. But no, the main thing I don't like about the looter, the way the story is spun, he goes looking for more gas just in case his powers wane. There's never any indication that his powers actually will wane, but that's the way it's always played later. And I just, I think it's... Well, I mean, don't you think that's a logical, something something somebody would, should, or should assume? I mean, I, well, I don't think that's anything that's over... Electro over. didn't go back to the power lines, you know, saying if I don't get struck by lightning again... I might lose my electrical powers. Well, because the whole thing was stupid to be in with. <laughs> and, and this is intelligent. This is like... <laughs> well, at least it's possible to actually go up there and be working on lines and get hit by lightning. It's not actually possible to... Okay, I, I can't be a part of this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, I, I kind of like the leader. That's, the, that's why I chose this, this recap I did, because, um, like I said, like he was in that um, Spider-Man the Mask thing where they, they listed him among Spider-Man's villains... And at the time, I never read a story with him. Obviously, I read this before, and um, uh, he was—he showed up in um, the uh, Dazago Ringo run of Sensational Spider-Man when he went up against Ben Riley. And that one—it was pretty funny because not only did he not wear the mask for much of it, but he was sort of stealing other villains' uh, other villains' gauntlets, like the Shocker's gauntlets and Stiltman's stilts and the Ringer's rings and stuff. And um, he somehow knocks Spider-Man out and steals his web shooters because Ben's costume had web shooters outside. So when he webs him, Ben wakes up saying, um, by the way, how long have I been out? He's like, oh, about an hour. And so he immediately breaks off the, the webs because the webs dissolve in an hour. I, it, was, it was a really fun thing. And um, he, he ends that issue by saying, but you don't understand. I wasn't doing this for money. I was doing this for – and he gets punched out. Science! <laughs> so he, he's, I, think, I think he's kind of a fun, very, very, very underused uh, – I mean he's not nearly one of my favorites, but I don't dislike him at all. For me, overall, this issue is a step up from 35, uh, yeah. but I'm still feeling like a de- definite decline in Ditko. Yeah, you, you had the Master Planner greatness, and I might have been kind of alone in the group, but I, I really enjoyed 34. It had a very classic feel to it, but 35 and 36 have just not been pulling the – not pushing the buttons for me. That's, that's what I was saying back when we did – when we uh, went over 34 with Brad. Like, these last, like, four or five issues – or Ditko issues, I mean, I'm generally – I like this issue. The Molten Man issue I wasn't feeling for the most part. And um, 38, I don't particularly care for. I mean, this is actually better than I remember them, but, but they don't have like the kind of pizzazz, like like the integral immediacy that uh, the majority of his run did, I think. Right. But this a does have a horrible female. A lot of what's memorable about Dicko's run was in the high school ages. Like, people rarely talk about uh, the Dicko ESU issues. Right. Except well, for the Master Planner story. Well, line. everyone knows Spider-Man didn't go to college until Romita came on the book. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> so what do we think about Gwen in this book? I don't have much to think about her. She's a horrible, horrible woman. I put in my Gwen articles, which I guess I'm going to be referencing like for the next hundred episodes, that like Gwen's getting mad here because with the Sally Green conversation, she's getting mad when Peter's getting through the Sally Green because... It's a reflection on Gwen that, like, okay, maybe Peter isn't stuck up. Maybe I was just not on his radar. Maybe I was just not good enough for him to open up to. If he's opening up to her, then that means that, therefore, I, Gwen Stacy, like, am a horrible person. So Mm -hmm. Gwen's, like, really relieved and happy when Sally gets shot down. 
<laughs> Anyone else picking that up, or um, is that off base? That no, that, that, that I'm not going to disagree at all. That makes total sense. I think it that come that's more apparent to me when Peter changes to Spider Man and Gwen just goes off the deep end, saying like hating him. You're a coward for running away like every every other guy in the museum did. I like seriously, I hate that because that is so illogical. And <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not going to get into girls being illogical. You think it's We'll lose every every female listener, but that, that that just annoys me. Like, I, that that doesn't that doesn't reflect very well on her character, female or not. I'll say, but it, it does make sense that, I mean, even still, even if she is like saying, well, she's trying to do this to get back at him rather than shift the blame on her and assume something's wrong with her. Is that what you're saying, right? What I'm saying is like. She doesn't like the fact that Sally was getting through the Peter because it means that Peter is not a stuck-up person who doesn't talk to anyone. It means Peter doesn't talk to Gwen. Oh, poor baby. Does, does, does that make sense? Like, but oh, then, that, like that, that makes sense. I mean, I, I don't, it's it's easier for for her to comprehend. Peter is like this to everyone. Then Peter's just like this to her. Right. Well, that that that, that humanizes her and makes her a lot more interesting character than she it turns out to be. But it, at the same time. And I, I don't want to come off as I have some kind of like crazy Gwen bias or anything, but it doesn't endear me or make me make me sympathetic to her because of her actions here. I mean, I I, I can't. You're not I, supposed to be sympathetic to Dicko Gwen. She's a, <laughs> look at her. I'm freaking what page is it? Freaking page fourteen and page fifteen. Her like ha ha. Flash. Peter Parker out throwing Flash. That's the funniest thing I heard all day. Ha 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 ha. Like seriously, like Peter's look is so apropos. It is so. Like STFU, I'm out of here. Right. It's, I'm it's, looking oh, to see. She looks like a spot in those pictures, though, because I have black and white. <laughs> well, we still have to talk about her at the space exhibit, which just, just says space exhibit, not like you know the planets. It's like it, it's a very generic sign that says space. They didn't even fill the whole sign. Like, <laughs> like they could have had like you know pictures or something. It's I I blame Artie Samek. Samek. It's always Artie's fault. Never S. Rosen. It's Sam Rosen's fault sometimes, but not S. Rosen. Uh, I'm reading what I put about the space exhibit. I said, Gwen must also be relieved that she is running into Peter outside of the ESU setting. She doesn't have to go through the notions for Flash, Harry, or any of the others. She can talk to Peter and perhaps even be herself without worrying about her reputation. Gwen going to the space exhibit was just a plot device at the time, but it makes, you know, because she's got to be where Peter is, but it makes sense with what we learn later. We find out in Ramita's run that Gwen is also a science major. With all of her admirers, why didn't she take any of them? Probably because none of them would have appreciated the exhibit and ruined the experience for her. Another reason why she's probably attracted to an egghead like Peter. Gwen can't do things simply, though. She can't just tap him on the shoulder or yell his name. Think how much quicker their romance would have gone. Nope, she is going to be difficult and let her pride make things go slowly. Well, so. can, uh, wow. can, we, can, we, can we simply say we've all been there when we weren't? Our pride has gotten in the way of romance. Gwen is so up in herself that, you know, how dare Peter not notice me, you know, back in issue 31. And she's so up in herself here that, like, no, she can't be the one to present herself to Peter and, like, you know, put herself out there. Peter has to notice her and come to her. Well, in, in, fair, in, fair, in fairness to the writing and the character, it's apparent in this. It's not like stuff we look at. It's, it's not like stuff that's ignored like it with Betty for the most part. Like, no one talks about what a crap character she is, but here – it's, it's it's pretty it's pretty fairly put up for interpretation. I mean, your interpretation is totally apt, even though it's not very explicit and it's not explicated in the context. But um, I mean, it's it's, it's there when, when you look at it, especially her anger. But her anger, the, you know, her <laughs> anger, maybe, maybe it is a little justified. 
maybe, maybe little kind of, sort of, I don't know. But the way she goes about it just I, – I don't know why I'm getting so worked up because it's just a comic book character. But seriously, like I can't look at It's our job thing. to get worked up with the comic book characters. Yeah. Uh, but the, she's kind of – Gwen is kind of like our Betty Brandt patch. Like Betty Brandt is not on this podcast right now. So like we need Gwen to focus on it. We need some and female she, to hate. She's good fodder for these first few issues too. Oh, oh yeah. What's her, her and, and Harry? Harry's going to be even more annoying. Huh. Look at that geek Parker. What a nerd he is, huh? <laughs> right, guys? Huh? Give me five, huh? Come here. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the few times that we see Gwen express an interest in science, but it's done for the convenience of plot. And really, like, she could have just been seeing Peter from the street and following him in there. Right. Like, you're getting to your whole thing about people. Everyone knows that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, saying that. <laughs> I know. Everyone knows. Yeah, everyone knows that Gwen loves science, you know, because she said she was a science major in one issue. It's now become this, like, fact about her character that people like to pull up like in house of m she was a scientist working with peter in um the spectacular spider-man cartoon she was a nerdy girl because of course she likes science but it, it was just a one-off and then people talk about like if gwen would have lived i bet you that she would have grown up and like owned a science lab or something right <laughs> I, I see that on message boards a lot just based on one line of dialogue in one issue that i don't even think stan remembers writing yeah, and um, we we talked about this like off the air on the phone, Josh. But I really liked your idea where you said that you saw her as a uh, going more into politics if she had <laughs> if she had not gotten her neck snapped. Yeah, because I mean, I guess this is you know going a little further down the road with Gwen, but you see her do so much protest stuff, and then like there's two separate stories where she like backs a politician who yeah both turn out to be crooks. So you saw oh, yeah. her like more into that than she was into science. And with being a popular police captain's daughter, she had the connections and stuff, and you know people in the community knew her. I, I could totally see it. Politics. <laughs> but then, like you know, once somebody founds out what she did with Norman, her political career is over. Right. <laughs> Even Peter won't have her. Because obviously Norman taped it. I would have. <laughs> Spider-Man accuses Luther of being antisocial, which is within the span of this issue. You know, you turn down an invitation to a party. Because someone thought you were smart. Your high school enemy offered to not didn't really offer them in the fences, but was like, you know what, you know, my friends aren't here yet. Do you want to play football? You know, and you call, and you told him to f off. You told that guy to f off in issue thirty after you saved him from being murdered, and he actually thanked you. Well, like, I mean, the I think, I think the, uh, the Flash thing though, I I, I think it was I think both guys were being a little more amiable than usual. I mean, it was just like, hey, Peter Parker, the other guys are here. You want to throw football? No, nah, I can't make it. Bye. Either way, I, I would have about thrown you anyway. Like they don't—they're not really as as intense as we did. They're, they're kind of just flippant, but they're not. I think it, it, that's way less than it, it could have been. So I think I think they were both being kind of like like lighthearted with it, and Gwen just took it and turned to something else because she, she is. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say bitch. I, I just I don't want to say that. <laughs> she, she's that. She's a witch. I said it. You can say it. I, I want to say it that. Way. She's a she's a crap person. There you go. Gwen's nuts, and she's totally all up in herself at this point in the series. Like, well, everyone knows she's a sweetheart who loved everything, and when she oh, she lived, <laughs> we're we're really throwing that that phrase out, aren't we? Dude, like, imagine this Gwen. Then imagine that Alex Ross Gwen, where like Namor was invading the city, and she's like, "Isn't it beautiful?" And like, yeah, that, that, that Philip Sheldon, he's like, and that's when I knew that Gwen was the most innocent thing that ever walked okay, the exa- Yeah, exactly. Like, like listeners, li- like. Out there in podcast listening land, listen to me. Don't don't let go of me, John. I, I want to speak. Um, <laughs> like that Gwen Stacy is so deified. I, we we all know it. Like even the ones in the comics, I don't think she was as crazy pure as the one in Marvels. And I love Marvels, but that one was just ridiculous. 
Yeah, where was Philip Sheldon when she was, you know, laughing about, ha ha, Peter Parker out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that was when I knew that Gwen Stacy had to die. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No doubt, man. <laughs> oh, Gwen Stacy, you and your... Well, I mean, like, if, if it's not been said before, this is, like, indicative of the different artists. This Dinko Gwen Stacy is... Uh, and she, she's, she, she's actually a very interesting character. This this is not the best of her issues, but it's more interesting. <laughs> It's more no. interesting than um, you know. Oh, I changed my hair, Peter. You want to see it? Ha, ha. Oh, Peter. Oh, I worry about him so much. Like that kind of the more the more stereotypically feminine Gwen. This one has a lot more pizzazz, even though I can't stand her in this thing. It's it's it's, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's, it's a good thing. I would say we should talk about the letters. There's some good letters about Ned Leeds jumping off a of cliffs and Flash Thompson. Like yeah, I have I have letters. Turn into a, turn into a bubble. Let's let's get into that. Okay, so the house ad this month has the one, the only. Fantastic Four number 50, featuring the startling Saga of the Silver Surfer. And the Human's Torch starts college, which is a plot thread that lasts just under five minutes. Oh, I, I, that that cover. I, I see the cover a lot. That one where Barry Kirby splayed hand kind of thing. And you see Johnny's first day at, was it Metro U or something? Yeah, Metro. Well, where he which meets is, Wyatt Wingfoot. Wyatt Wingfoot, his, his partner for the Inhumans thread. Yeah, and um, She-Hulk's um, lover of many years. Really, She-Hulk and White hookup? Yeah, like She-Hulk has done for, everybody for, for 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 like a lot. No, it wasn't like all shapes, for, all sizes. For like a long time, they were together, from like the mid '80s to sometime in the '90s. Everyone, no, I'm not gonna do that. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was. I mean, I think that they were on again, off again, but they were together for a while. Yeah, they were they were engaged at one point. There was like a two issue She Hulk limited series where like she goes to Wyatt's tribe and like at the end they're having like a spirit thing like by the sun and like Wyatt's like you don't want to marry me and she's like nah. And I'm just kidding. When you say that they were just together for a long time and almost got married, is that like analogous to Dick Grayson and uh, Coriander? Um, see. I don't know because I saw because I think that Dick Grayson and Coriander's were featured a lot more. Like She Hulk didn't go back to her home planet and then marry somebody else, and you know stuff like that. Like the, their romance was just kind of something happening in the background. Okay. We also have the Marvel bullpen bulletins: naturally nifty, newsy, nondescript nonsense about our nutty non-entities. And there's really nothing much about Spidey here, though the end of the strictly personal note reads, Lots of you have been asking for some inside info about Irving Forbush. We can't make up our minds whether to keep him a man of mystery or to blow the whole bit. But in issues to come, we'll try to clue you in on about the most famous nobody in all of comicdom. And of course, we get 26 more MMS members and the Mighty Marvel checklist and the ad for clothes and stationery and a Spider-Man pinup. And then we get to the letters column, the spider's web. Okay. So, Carl Friedman says they're ruining Spider-Man by not showing all of Flash's football exploits. What? Are you fucking serious? Yeah, this is what he says. You've been ruining Spider-Man for quite some time now. Don't you think you should tell us more about Flash Thompson? Flash wrote this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We know he's Pete's classmate, but how about showing some of his football exploits? If he's good enough to get into college on a football scholarship, he must be pretty good. What position does he play? You might be able to make a funny yarn out of some diabolical plot centered around a football game where Flash gets into some odd predicament like swallowing the football or turning into a football. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> swallow in the football or turn. I don't know which one makes the least amount of sense. <laughs> Turning into a bubble. This is like he, he must have been reading Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> I know. It's exactly what I was thinking. This is Silver Age DC. <laughs> Help me, Spidey. I've turned into a bubble. Sorry, yeah, Jimmy. I'll, I'll the curse is... How do you swallow a football? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How do you turn into a bubble? <laughs> It's just a, another day in the life of Eugene Flash Thompson. Well, <laughs> Spider-Man. I got Flash. a date with Gwen tonight. She's <laughs> not going to want to go to the prom with a bubble. <laughs> How do you turn into like, like what do you look like at the bubble? You. Like 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 a big fat like Willy Wonka esque uh, you're turning violet violet bubble or an actual like no. big bubble. My mind. <laughs> And then there's Alfred Atanasio, who thinks that if Peter was going to break up with Betty, he should have risked it all and told her he was Spider-Man, because he would have had nothing to lose. <laughs> Except his secret identity and this girl's right. sanity. I mean, like, I give Betty a lot of shit, but she would have lost her sanity had she heard that. Yeah. And then she would have been like, I told you, I told you you had a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hypothetically, real quick. Well, she says, you know, if he was Spider-Man, she wouldn't be considerate. If he did, though, would she really like just like like never like would she like be written out of the books, or was she like you know I can handle it, uh, you know I loved you, or would she really like just like leave the city or something like that for the tenth time? That's what happened in the Silver Age. Uh, the girlfriends couldn't handle, it and they were written out of the books. Karen Page, um, Jane Foster. Yeah, seeing Jane Foster too. Jane yeah. Foster found out Thor's secret identity. Yeah. yeah. Took her to Asgard and everything. Took her to Asgard to get Odin's blessing and to like see if she could handle Asgard, and she flipped her lid. So Odin's like, "Dude, she's a wuss. Get over it." And at the, end of, that issue, at the end of that issue, he meets Sif and realizes, you know, that there's better things to come. <laughs> yeah, Karen Page. She was written out very soon after she found out, but then they brought her back, and then they wrote her out again for Black Widow. So then Rochelle Fabrizi writes a letter that I think has some historical import. She says, Dear Stan and Steve, One day while looking through a weekly newspaper, The National Observer, the one thing I never expected to see was there, an article on comics and how they affect children, teenagers, and even adults. And there on the bottom of the page was a picture of Stan. I don't know how many Marvel readers have ever seen Stan, so couldn't you please print this picture? Although I can't quote the whole article, there was this one part that was especially interesting. It goes like this. Says the lean, 42-year-old Mr. Lee, I started this whole thing on a lark. We were prisoners of a pattern. Every comic book was like the one before, and after 25 years of writing for comics, I was getting just a little bored. I thought, with communications what they are today, the public is more hip than ever before. Why couldn't our comics be offbeat and more sophisticated? Let me tell you, Stan, we Marvel fans are with you all the way. Thanks a lot for reading this letter, and I'd like everyone to know how you feel about us and your comics. Um, I just thought it was kind of interesting because you have a, a historical quote from Stan in the, uh, in the letter. Do we want to mention that yesterday was uh, Stan Lee's 80th birthday? Happy birthday to Stan. As we record this, it was his birthday on December 28th, which was yesterday. And Spidey Dudes. Oh, yeah, and the Spidey Dudes. They're legendary Zachary Joyner. He turns 80... Uh, what do you say? He t- he's only actually 23, I think. Z- yeah, Zachary's not 88. Then there's a letter here from Trevor Jones. He says... 
Stan and Steve, Spider-Man 32 is a real Marvel masterwork. The title and cover fit the story like a glove. I never dreamed that the master planner would be old, power-mad Doc Ock. In fact, I never expected to see him again. By the way, I picked up the Marvel Collector's Item Classics mag and read about Spidey's first battle with Doc Ock. Of course, I'm a faithful reader of Marvel, so I had read about it before, but it never bothers me to see an old-time masterwork. In the Collector's Item mag, Dr. Octopus was harder to beat than the Scorpion and the Beetle put together. Please give the continued issues, blah, 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 he goes on. But with all of his hyping about Marvel Collector's Item Classics, I have to think about what Eddie had said previously, and you know maybe Stan wrote this one. Yeah, but Trevor Jones, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, will you make Ned Leeds' butt out? It's a, yes. it's a general box number in Friendship, New York. I, th- I think Stanley wrote that one. There's a letter from Johnny Carson, but I don't think it's the Johnny Carson. It's a letter from uh, Ron Edwards, and he says, if you step on Spider-Man, does it rain? Yes. I'm, I'm, I didn't you, make that up. Okay, okay, enough of this crap. What is with... These guys must have been high or something. I'm, 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 like, I'm serious. That's the whole letter, just the one sentence. <laughs> and then Stan's response, No, but if you tickle Irving Forbish, Zowie! <laughs> Yeah. I knew a guy named Ron Edwards. I wonder if it's the same guy. Because there's only one guy oh, in the whole world named Ron read, Edwards. You have to read Kevin Johnson's letter. That one's hilarious. Mm-hmm. He talks about Ned Leeds jumping off a cliff. And then, like, Stan's like, oh, what would happen if, Stan Le- if Ned Leeds jumped off a cliff? Here he says, okay. Dear Stan and Steve, about all I can say about Spider-Man number 32 is terrific. I think it would be a good idea, though, to drop some of the continued stories. At the end of Spidey Strikes Back, when that large piece of equipment was sliding down on Spidey, couldn't he have saved himself by shooting webbing to the ceiling and pulling himself up before the junk hit him? Why doesn't Ned Leeds go jump off a cliff? Peter Parker could marry Betty Brant, but don't think I'll miss that issue. Oh well, congratulations on a great magazine. Kevin Johnson. He wants Peter to marry Betty, and he says that like that's the one issue he won't miss. And then Ned Leeds needs to jump off a cliff. <sighs> that's the one issue Peter won't miss. Kevin, Kevin, sit down. And we need to talk. <laughs> Richard Willis talks about how he had made a list of all of Spidey's villains to see who could be the master planner, but had eliminated Dr. Octopus for some reason that he's forgotten. Silly, Richard. Tricks are for kids. Yeah. Jack Applebaum bought a copy of Marvel Collector's Adam Classics number one, talked a little bit about the Spider-Man story, but he also complained about the design of the thing, how it looked like a lumpy orange Play-Doh or something like that. <laughs> That's how the thing looked for those early Fantastic Four issues. He didn't get like his... Yeah, but yeah. It's like you don't come, you don't write into a, a reprint book and complain about what you're doing with the design of the characters. That's very. <laughs> it's like somebody in the '60s writing, "Dear Detective Comics, I really loved the case of the Chemical Syndicate, but where is Batman's yellow oval? And where, why doesn't he have gloves? And why are those ears so freaking big?" And then there's Kent Thomas, who bitches about continued stories and about the romance in the book. Every two pages, we get a spew of the sickening, lovey junk. Save it for Patsy Walker. And Sam responds, by. Uh, are you kidding, Kent? Oh, Patsy wouldn't read a superhero comic mag on a bet. And anyway, Thor's already... <laughs> yeah. That's just really ironic right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's true. Oh. She's Hellcat. <laughs> Podcasting footnote, Patsy Walker is currently Hellcats and is starring in more superhero comics, which she's now more well-known for than her romance comics. So next issue, we have a new menace, a new situation, a new villain, a new day dawning for Spidey and the newest, nuttiest, niftiest title you've ever seen. It's all yours for Diamond Two Coppers. So don't say we didn't alert you. Till we meet again, then keep your spider sense in a safe place and remember to wiggle your webs. Face front. 
This is two <laughs> inches throw that he says wiggle your webs, so that must be very important. Wiggle I didn't webs. wiggle my webs. Maybe that's why all bad stuff happened. Right. Sounds like, sounds like a song from the show The Wiggles. So here we are at the end of January with 36 issues of Amazing Spider-Man down and 616 to go. Coming up, web spinners, Mary Jane returns, but this time she has a much bigger plan to cover her head. Is Peter going to see her this time? Find out. And Spider-Man meets Daredevil again, but this time not at the circus. Is Daredevil a blind guy, a chubby guy, or a female? Will Spider-Man make the right choice? (laughs) (laughs) That creepy guy from J. Jonah Jameson's club comes back, but he's not going to be important, is he? All that and a guy named Joe? So it sounds like Josh has a new voice that he's going to be bringing to the show on occasion, when the muse strikes him. Speaking of Josh Bertone, he did mention during the course of this episode some Gwen articles that he has done. That is the Finding Gwen Stacy series, which is available on the Spider-Man Crawl Space. There will be a link for it in the show notes, or you can go to spidermancrawlspace.com. On the right-hand side, you scroll past some of the banner ads, and there will be some category links to the various segments of the website. Finding Gwen Stacy does have its own link there. Speaking of people posting things on the crawl space, Donovan Grant is up to episode 45 now in his reviews of the 1994 Spider-Man animated series. So those are definitely worth checking out. You can go to SpiderManCrawlspace.com, and he does them frequently enough that there's almost always one on the front page. If you just scroll down a little bit, you'll see it there. And then there's a link in the uh, title description to 1994 television series or something like that, and you can click that and get all of his reviews. Sadly, I am no longer posting reviews on the crawl space of the Spider-Man miniseries. I kind of dropped the ball on that with Brad Douglas. Basically what happened was, when I took the job, I was going to catch up on my Spider-Man reading and then start knocking out reviews, but by the time I got caught up on Spider-Man reading, summer was over and school was getting back going, and I had a lot less free time in that semester than I thought I was going to have, and I just never got those reviews done in anything resembling a timely manner. So he has been able to get some worthy people to replace me, and there are currently reviewers for all Spider-Man-involved titles on the SpiderManCrawlspace.com. So... Next episode, we will be covering the first part of John Romita's Daredevil two-parter, co-starring Spider-Man, that's Daredevil number 16, and also issue 37 of Amazing Spider-Man. The second episode forthcoming is going to have the second half of the Daredevil story and the final issue of Steve Ditko's tenure on Amazing Spider-Man. We do have a special guest with us for both of those episodes, someone I was very excited to have on the show. I think you're going to be in for a treat. Until then, you can tell us what you think about the show, send us feedback, have a conversation with us at AmazingSpidermanClassics at gmail.com. You can also go visit the show's website, AmazingSpiderMan.Libson.com, and leave a comment on the show posting there. There's also a link on that page to our Facebook site, which you can like and follow for updates on new episodes and occasional other tidbits that we find of note, although we don't post on there too much because we don't want to flood your Facebook wall. And finally, of course, there's always iTunes where you can subscribe to the show and leave a review because we love getting reviews. We will read them on the air and your name and kind words will be emblazoned across the internet rooftops and it'll make us very, very happy and blushing bashful boys that we are while we read the things you have to say. 
So until next time, as always, my name is John Wilson, and thank you for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Good night. recording right john because I, I thought to josh like two or three times in like uh the last few episodes you were always like wait i don't know if we're still recording let me check for 20 minutes <laughs> yeah we're still going okay good let's give me a heart attack i'll just open up the um work if you, you a heart attack at kick we did you want to know by now we did that on an episode yeah we did if that's all you get for your money. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? <laughs> that's totally how it sounds. <laughs> After these messages. Not yet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> After these letter pages. And <laughs> exactly. do after these messages. <laughs> You've been listening to ASM Classics, hosted by the Superman homepage. <laughs> what? Next, next time, Jimmy Olsen gets in more trouble when he swallows a football and turns into a bubble. I was just like, you fuck, I was, was going to say that. You stole that. Because <laughs> it was so easy to do.